0: Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Tomorrowland. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian McCloskey.
1: How How do you know my name?
0: And with our Tomorrowland tagline, Kelly Wand.
2: Feels more like a D ticket.
0: I don't think that needs a backup, Kelly Wand. I think you nailed it. You, you uh, crushed it first try. I have two other ones. All right, well, what 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 are they?
2: Uh, more like Tomorrow Bland.
0: Mm, I can see why you went and with the other finally, one first. All right, yeah, yeah.
2: Wait. Lindelof's stories really are like dreams. There's no rules, and I can't remember shit about them five minutes afterwards.
0: That's a pretty long tagline. I don't know that it would fit on a post. Shut up! But yeah, it works. Uh, Kellywan, do you have an IMDb synopsis for us this week? I'm guessing that you don't. <laughs> you guessed wrong, Tom. Ah, really? So what do you have for us?
2: Okay. Here's the fun game part of it. hmm. You have to name the movie to right. make it stop. Interesting. Otherwise... Aliens just are seeking... Oh. Arian. Yep. No. Oh. Aliens are seeking a way to save their planet Nil from an energy Alien crisis. No. Nope. In fact, I'm not going to say no. If you say it right, I'll stop. Okay.
1: Independence Day.
2: For that, they need salt, which they plan to produce by draining the Earth's oceans using Science. a metal ball. Oblivion. So they have to recover it. Through a car accident, Spear. in which the spaceship is hit by the car of Josh's single mother, Gina Morrison, the spaceship befriends Gina and Josh, telling them its name is Dave Ming Chang, and sees the ball in a photograph. Starman, oh, Starman. Uh,
0: Star no, Peach Dragon.
2: Josh tells him that Iz was taken from him by a bully. Directed to him by Josh, Dave takes the metal ball back from the bully. In a Phantasm. New York City apartment...
0: Phantasm. There's metal balls in Phantasm. I,
2: a young boy named Josh Morrison watches through his telescope an approaching object coming from the sky
0: God, I've never seen this, so it must be goonies I've never seen the
2: goonies. last starfighter It is a baseball sized metal ball which flies through the window of his room. He keeps it and shows it at school in a science class presentation. Some months later on Liberty Island, a massive fireball crash lands. The fireball is actually. A human-sized spaceship.
0: So I'm listening to this, but I'm, and I'm wanting to find out what happens because I don't know what this synopsis is. So, uh, Kelly, yeah, Kelly, one, I'm trying to know what happens to this metal-sized ball and the crash, the fiery crash, sh- human-sized spaceship.
2: Yeah, it sounds a little Promethean, doesn't it? Better. The spaceship is controlled by a hundred aliens, each one inch tall. <laughs> its he captain pilots the spaceship along with his crew from inside its head for people the spaceship seems fairly human but oh, odd that and eddie, super eddie, murphy. Powers. eddie murphy as an alien <laughs>
0: yeah. thing what is that called
2: a superstitious cop named officer Dooley, scott Cod, is desperately searching for the ship
0: shoot a monkey i know what it is i just don't know the title kelly one it's is eddie murphy the alien ship right yeah what's it called
2: leonard part six the police know from the impression of Dave's face and the dirt on the crash site what he looks like, and they arrest him for investigation Pluto Nash Dave breaks out. that's a good guess it's called Dave it uh,
0: Dave no nope. Dave, no no, it's a different movie. no nope.
1: D- Dave that's breaks Dave. out is a good title though
2: Dave breaks out, and the police try to arrest him again. Josh is at the scene and recharges Dave, who runs out of power using a taser he takes from a police officer. The ball thrown in the ocean by number two is retracted <laughs> the kid. The captain orders number two to be stuck in the ship's butt forever. The crew <laughs> member who's with the police officer is allowed to enter. Dave and its rocket-powered shoe with all crew leaves Earth. While on the ship, the captain tells number three that he will need a new number two, and they kiss. During the end credits, the aliens dance to "Shining Star" by Earth, Wind, and Fire.
0: Man, well, I need to see yeah. that. So, okay, so what's the name of this movie? That I I know what it is, but I just don't know the name of it. It's called Meet Dave. Oh, I'm, so I'm the one that got closest. I basically won yeah. that, right? Okay.
2: After I said the, the word "Dave" eighty or ninety times, then you started to get close to the title. I guess
0: Meet Dave. Okay. Meet still, Dave. I not Dave.
2: I still think it's Pluto Nash.
0: Have, uh, you, have you actually seen this, Kelly? Wand?
2: Mm, I haven't seen the whole thing, but there's one of them. One of the aliens realizes he's gay at one point. Who? Number two, I think.
0: It's very progressive.
2: Uh, different haircut inside the ship. And, and does Eddie,
0: Eddie Murphy play all the aliens or something? Or no, uh, he just plays he plays the, the
2: captain and also the ship likes looks like him, which is a little vain, if you ask me. It's not like captain Kirk's face. Right. he that. doesn't fly
0: around a giant version of himself. Right, exactly. Yeah,
1: you probably think this ship is about you, don't you?
0: Hmm. Anyway, all right, that's so. I feel like I won this week's synopsis.
1: I agree. Tom, oh, yeah. Tom, you definitely won this week's Eddie Murphy synopsis. Well,
0: you know what that means, Dangus. That means now you get to tell everybody what movie we saw this week.
1: Oh, all right. Well, this so week we favorite. saw Tomorrowland, which is actually titled Disney Tomorrowland, colon, A World Beyond.
0: Mm. Brilliant.
1: So, Disneyland Tomorrowland, Disney Tomorrowland, colon, A World Beyond is a 2015 American science fiction adventure uh, mystery Epcot attraction adapt- adaptation movie <laughs> about going back to the future without Michael J. Fox. It seven. was directed by Brad Bird and written by him with Damon Lindelof. It stars Raffi Cassidy, Tim McGraw, Catherine Hahn, George Clooney, Hugh Laurie, and Britt Robertson. Tomorrowland is rated PG for sequences of sci-fi action violence and peril, thematic, <laughs> thematic elements, and language.
2: But there's, Wait. There's no smoking what's, in this movie. the language? The robots smoke when they break. The, the language is, son of
0: a... And you oh. little... Mm-hmm. The, language, That's how the, language Kelly Wand, the language Kelly Wand is strictly implied... It, it really is. should be.
1: As, as part of the rating system, they should say implied language.
0: Uh, Clooney does let loose with a hell at one point, I think.
1: Yeah, you're but right. he's the cranky character who needs to be redeemed.
0: It's well, Kelly, t- that sounds like a spoiler, so why don't you give us... Oh, no, first, I'm sorry, let me tell you. Uh, Tomorrowland sucks, is, is number one at the box office. What? Tomorrowland... I not. Oh, please. <laughs> Tomorrowland accomplished something that Mad Max could not do. It beat Pitch Perfect 2. Oh... What do you think of that? I am not a Pitch Perfect 2 apologist. I don't think anyone perfect. is. Man, that was terrible, by the way. And you guys can – you're welcome. I took the bullet on that this week. Jesus You saw it? Christ. Yeah. Oh, no it's way. Awful. It's really it's bad? It. It's awful. I could not what believe it. What were you expecting? It. Pitch Perfect
2: 1.
1: Yeah. Which is great to you. Which is great, yeah. It's legitimately great. Pitch Perfect is a great – I mean, it's great. Are you telling me it's bad?
0: Yeah, it's terrible. You're welcome. <sighs> so Damn it. you're not going to have to sit through
1: um. Hmm. You're so weird. Can you thumb? <laughs> Wait. You why thumbnail? am I weird?
0: Why is that weird?
1: Can it's you just, thumbnail why it's so bad? Yeah. yeah it's, just, it
0: has a, it's just trying. It's a sequel. It's so full of itself. It's very self congratulatory. Uh, uh. There's no character development in it really. They're just trying to, you know, bring back the same characters in these cute little, uh, little cameo. Like for instance, um, in Pitch Perfect one, there's the blonde girl who is the really, sort of controlling head of the acapella group. And she is displaced. At one point, she steps down, and Brittany Snow and Anna Kendrick take her place, and they whip the acapella group into shape. Um, so in Pitch Perfect 2, they have her—the um, the acapella group decides to go on a retreat to kind of uh, find out—to rediscover how to work together as a team. So they bring this blonde girl back as the head of the retreat camp place. It's sort of like, hey, you know, remember this great character from Pitch Perfect? Well, we have to bring her back and remind you, here she like is. Like the dog in Men in Black. I don't know what that's a reference to, but yes.
2: That dog that uh, Tommy Lee Jones comically strangles, and then it's like, he becomes his partner in the second
0: one. Oh, but it, right. It's like, the, it's in the sequel because it was in the first movie, and they thought, right. you yeah, should write.
2: You um, gotta laugh. So let's put the whole movie in. No
0: good joke, Like, none of the the charm of the first movie, none of the... Uh, none of the, the chemistry amongst the characters. You know, Rebel Wilson has a few funny moments, but... Um, Sequelizing comedies is always bad. Wait, it's not a comedy,
2: is it? It's about relationships. No, no, Pitch Perfect, It's one? very much a comedy, yeah. See, uh, that's the thing.
0: The only thing to recommend it is there is an awesome... So the the bad guy a cappella group who they're fighting against is um, these, like, super... Teutonically efficient German acapella group of people, and they it's do dark. Like they do an amazing cover of the a muse song called um, uh, not victorious um, shoot what? uprising is it uprising uh, there 's there's this great muse song <laughs> and they do a cover of it, which is better than the actual muse song um, but even though so here 's the thing uh, okay, the, the, the the charm of these acapella groups is they do cool covers of songs, but what the Bellas, the Barton Bellas, do the 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 good guy, the Anna Kendrick and Brittany Snow team. What they do to win the the competition is instead of doing a cover, they do an original song. Yeah. And nobody uh, wants to hear them do an original song. Nobody knows no. the song. It's just some dippy little light song that the Haley Steinfeld character wrote. It's supposed to demonstrate what a great uh, songwriter. Songwriter.
2: Says. Yeah. Wait, how do all the other characters know the lyrics then? Or does she sing about well, they herself. learn it
0: it's like what it's the routine they do for the big competition to really blow the judges away It's, hey, instead of doing a cover, we're gonna do this sort of light chick rock song.
2: What's the song about?
0: Oh, I couldn't tell you Kelly Wand. it's about she's
2: like coyote ugly Piper para
0: um I, you know I've never seen coyote ugly
2: um I oh would, dude,
0: I should see Fire. that I would rather yeah, I mean, I'm ready for anything after having sat through pitch perfect too.
2: you got to see the so, unrated cut. Right. let me make it's a note warm. of that. Unrated Coyote Ugly. All
0: right. Uh, so at any rate, Tomorrowland beat Pitch Perfect 2. It opened at number one, $40 million, um, which is actually kind of disappointing. It was uh, at Disney. I know they're not happy with it. Um, it cost $180, did not it? Uh, huge budget, yeah, yeah. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 50% of the reviews are positive. <laughs> on Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews, 60. Huh.
2: The numbers converge every week
0: more. And now they're diverging again, Kellywand. Divergent. Kelly Wand, why don't you give us a synopsis of Tomorrowland? And you know what? I don't even care what you call it. You can call it anything you want. Really? Yeah.
2: Because wait, why how come this is the the exception to your rule that I can't call it what I want? Which I thought was a rule. But maybe it's not.
0: Uh just because I don't I I don't care what you call this, I want to hear it. It doesn't matter to me what it's <laughs> called. I just wanna I wanna know what The I want to listen to it. Yeah? The title's beside the point, yeah.
2: You just want to hear the con- the body of the title. I'm
0: just so eager to get to the content, exactly. That couldn't yeah, care serious, what like, you call it,
1: yeah. Exactly, Tom's right.
0: If Brad Bird can't, can't tell this story, I'm sure you can.
1: Yeah. Well, I see
2: myself more as a Lindelof See, um, Lindelof,
0: the stench of Lindelof's lack of talent, the la- his lack of ability to tell a story, even Brad Bird is overcome by that. Mm-hmm. I think you are the guy who can bear up under that stench. And that's why I want to hear your synopsis of Tomorrowland.
2: I'm going to do my best, but it is Lindelof.
0: I know, I know.
2: Tomorrow lapsus, a world beopsis. George Clooney stands next to a doomsday clock and goes, Hi, I'm George Clooney. Nope, start all over. Uh, (laughs) Hi, I'm George. La, 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 la. (laughs) Try again. (laughs) Uh, Too slow. Okay. Hi, I'm George Clooney. I built this <laughs> clock here that tells me there's 100% chance that the Earth has 59 days to live. This movie will cover the first three of those days and less than 100%. There's a bunch of reasons why, but I simplified that for younger viewers into this black and white footage of a mushroom cloud. <laughs> Show your tits! Fuck, kid, you do it. I hate you and this movie. Oh, don't make me tell the wolf story, but okay. Once upon a time, in another dimension, George Clooney here was a fat, slightly Latino kid in the 60s. A fat kid with a dream as big as his stomach, and a bag of junk as shapeless as his heart. Cut to fat kid Clooney on his bus. He drops a bag of clanking metal on an old lady's foot and goes, yikes He eventually drags it into Disneyland and goes, guys, I made a jet pack. Sorry, I thought this was a patent office. House works there, he's all, does it work? Uh shit, I didn't think this would come up in conversation. Uh work, you know, uh means different things and differently. Cut to fat kid in a field <laughs> with a jetpack on. He's all here goes nothing. He hits a button and explodes. House is all forget it kid. The fat kid leaves. House looks at a little girl robot with freckles and goes oh, I dunno, maybe a whole movie about a jetpack would be awesome. But if it's aimed at kids, we should definitely put Nazis in it. The girls all I like how that fat boy came here for nothing. <laughs> House is all. Yeah, last week you said Taylor Latton would make an awesome Secretary of State. To celebrate his defeat, the kid gets onto It's a Small World After All, but the ride breaks and takes him to a subterranean hell pit under Disney. It's dark and you can't see anything. But the fat kid's all, whoa! His boat slides past an animatronic Walt Disney cryogenic head, then lets him out at some robots. They attack him, then mangle his jetpack and throw it at his head. He's all, oh, you fixed it? Eventually, he walks back to the ticket counter and goes, check it, asshole, now my jetpack works. Losers. House is all, yeah, thanks to our robot. The kid leaves and does nothing for 50 years. <laughs> Old time Clooney's all, and that's my jetpack story. I also had a jetpack in Gravity, by the way. The camera pans to a Piper Parabo teenager. She's all. Now, for my character's setup. I too is an inventor, but I'm a girl! We wait till her flashback starts. <laughs> a four year old who looks vaguely like that actress we just saw points up at the night sky and lisps Look, there's Philippus, and there's Earth, and there's Purgatory, and this is my finger, duh! <laughs> her dad's all, yeah, honey, you're brilliant. Fuck, my life's over. You guys grew up so fast. I want to go to them, duh! <laughs> Her mom's all, uh, sweetie, they're really far away. And you know there's no air and space, right? Clooney made another movie on that topic. Stars have everything. <laughs> <laughs> Freeze frame. Teenage Piper Parabo hugs the doomsday clock and goes, that's when I realized I know how things work. Polly Shore's her dad. His job's making nothing <laughs> at home out of garbage can lids and wires. <laughs> He's all... Fuck, this fan sucks. Viper Parabo comes in and flicks a switch on his motherboard from off to on. Suddenly, all the lights in the country come on.
1: He's like, see, you, Daddy?
2: He's all, yeah, I guess. I just want to kill you. I think it'd be better for me and your brother there. Dad, you've been telling me only one story my whole life. Now, I'm going to regurgitate it. Once upon a time, there were two wolves. One was terrible. The other was awesome. Which one do you feed? Also, pretend there's a food shortage. But optimistically... Honey, that's not actually a story per se. I was an idiot for saying that. She throws him a tennis ball and goes, Here, eat this, and turn that can not upside down. She ruffles her kid brother's balls and heads into the bathroom. The brother looks at us and goes, By the way, I'm not Clooney's character, although our haircuts are similar. At school. (laughs) Her teachers are all... As you can see, antimatter is extremely poisonous to cheerleaders. Another one's all. And that's why Song of the South's hard to find on Blu-ray. Another one's all. 1984, Fahrenheit 451. These are classics of science fiction literature. Compare them to today's modern cinematic offerings such as Prometheus, Lost, World War Z, Star Trek Into Darkness, Cowboys and Aliens, The Leftovers, this. Notice how the works in the first group have endings, character development, ideas, while the latter, they tend toward the infantile, the terrible, the idiotic, saccharine, witless, poorly conceived, uninteresting, disregardable, incompetent, difficult to finish, chock-a-block with pointless exposition and characters who are so grating that their very names... Yes, Parabo? Can we fix bad news? What the... How dare you? Class Dismissed. Now, who wants Disneyland tickets? They're only good for the end of Captain EO. Anyone? (laughs) I knew this one would kill. I look over at the German kid robot sitting next to me and go, (laughs) Yeah, fuck those goth doom and gloom naysayers like Ray Bradbury. Speaking of which, how old are you? The German kid raises a hand and goes, Nine! (laughs) Oh, jeez too soon the next day the parabo girl gets arrested and when she touches something dumb travels to another dimension in the middle of the police station the cops aren't interested that night she retouches something dumb it's a hyper-advanced piece of technology that makes her fall down some stairs and dislocate her shoulder that's its function her dad yawns and lurches from his bedroom staring down at her groaning broken figure dad i went to the future again and it's all wheat He's all, ah, Christ, staggers back to bed. Fell down the stairs again. She goes to her brother's room, yanks away his bedspread, tosses away the penthouse, grabs his flashlight on the second try, and goes, Kevin, the future's made of CG wheat. You smell like a swamp, as usual. Well, as you can see, my phone's got mud on it, idiot. Now, do you have Dad's computer password? I need to search randomly on eBay for plot points. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, excuse me. It's later now. Wow, this tea thing's the only entry on eBay under Disney paraphernalia. Does Disneyland exist in our universe, and can I go to the future someday? Not yet. Actually, not in this movie at all. We're already pretty kid-heavy. The next day, the little brother's wandering around his driveway when the robot girl from Disneyland (laughs) shows up with a box of Oreos. I am pretending to be a Girl Scout. Wait, you were programmed to talk like that and buy the wrong cookies and wear the wrong clothes? (laughs) Damon Lindelof came up with my concept while watching small wonder where is your sister The ebay ad was placed by a chick with a beehive haircut who sells Star Wars crap place in the same or a different city Parabo learns this by going to it when she gets there she puts the pin on the counter and goes hey I thought since you're selling one of these on ebay I could buy some wheat here you see I'm a dreamer the beehive ladies all hey Gary A door to a back room opens while Star Wars music plays. A a black man jumps into view and stands in the doorway until the door tries to kill him. That happens in the movie. Then he and the beehive lady turn into robots and try to kill Piper Barabo with ray guns. Luckily, House's robot shows up and kills the robots with martial arts CG, then drives Piper Barabo away. Piper Barabo finds a bloody Kleenex and holds it to her nose. She's all, wait, so that assassin robot's programming included getting stuck indoors? Why didn't they know martial arts? I am programmed to pretend to switch off if someone asks questions. She switches off. Piper Parabo's all, oh, well, at least now I can get some rest. The little girl opens the passenger door and throws her out of the moving car. Parabo stands up, brushes herself off, fucks around with a Kleenex some more, then looks at the words on the mailbox beside her and goes, hmm, Clooney is a fat kid, but now an adult. She walks up to a house somewhere and rings the doorbell. Clooney's voice comes out of a speaker. Go away! Some CG punches her in the face and catapults her 12 feet through the air and into the dust and breaks her spine. She stands up, then starts looking around. Shit, I lost my Kleenex. It starts to rain on her. Inside, Clooney's all stupid 10-year-olds. What the? My metal tractor's on fire in the rain! He goes outside and uses CG to turn his tractor off. Then he's all, what the, why didn't I close my door behind me? Ten minutes later, and then House threw me out of Disneyland for inventing doomsday clocks. Parabo's who cares? The doomsday clock's percentile goes from 100 to 99 and 44 one hundredths. Clooney's all, whoa, ignore me some more. Okay, she shrugs. The percentile goes to 138%. (laughs) Fuck, (laughs) nothing I make works. Then he's all, speaking of which, check out these animatronic versions I made of Tesla and Edison and uh, third person, Jules Verne. I didn't finish Nixon here yet. <laughs> Golly, do they do anything? What are you talking about? They're standing up. That's more than you're doing. Eventually, some robots attack. So the robot girl shows up again, and they all take a rocket to a swamp. <laughs> then another rocket to the Eiffel Tower, which also turns into a rocket that takes them to some green screen. <laughs> Clooney's all, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Once he's right. House is all. So you were asked to leave the park. The robot girl's all. By the way, I am a bomb. If I blow up Tomorrowland, the movie will end. Drop me from a great height first, so my tedious goodbye subroutine kicks in. Piper Parabasol. Wait, I thought I was the dreamer in the hair. What? Tomorrowland blows up, then falls on house. <laughs> It's like a reverse Wizard of Oz, except the house goes scrotum. Even robots say that when stuff falls on them. A newspaper's all due to worldwide epidemic of mysterious tea pins Thousands die from falling downstairs and drowning while mistakenly believing they're in wheat fields. Modern parabola's all. And that's our plot resolution. She smiles. Clooney looks back at the doomsday clock and goes, uh, Well, we're still at 59 days and 99%. The 99 seems a little low to me, actually. I look over at the T-pin and go, I didn't think this was even in the realm of possibility. A minor Lindelof? The end. Wow. <laughs> That's the Fury Road of Opsies in a took George Clooney's movie. Just bring it out of me. Did I forget anything? Damn, that, was, that was good stuff, Kelly Wan. <laughs> <laughs> I am only a pawn in Damon Lindelof's Game of Writing life.
0: So is it all um, really his fault? I mean, what the hell was this? What happened? Uh, whenever some when
2: you, someone says anything about a movie's message, especially a writer, it means the characters suck.
1: Because it it, be- yeah. And that's the thing I heard before I went to see it. You know, I, I happened to mention to somebody that I just met that I was going to see it, and she said, "Well, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that if you leave it not thinking that." It has a positive message. You really missed the point.
2: (laughs) That's what I want to do when I go to a movie. Is either miss the point or feel preached at by robots. No, no good kids movie is where where they mention the message. Like Aladdin didn't have a message.
1: I mean, I can't think it's all Lindelof because it's it's not just the script. The pacing is so unbelievably horrible. What what is going on with Brad Bird? No, it's not just the script. He's chained he's the, to Lindelof. He's the director, and no, he's not chained to Lindelof. He's, he's the is- director of the movie, and somebody edits it. Editing, I mean, pacing is not just that. This movie is horribly paced.
0: The sense it, I, I mean, got oh, – no, go ahead.
1: Go guys. ahead. No, go ahead, Tom.
0: Well, it, it, it reminded me of when Disney would try to do something that's out of their grasp, like that you can see what they're trying to do. But it's clearly beyond their capability creatively, and it reminded me of being a kid, and seeing hugely disappointing movies like, like, like the Black, Black Hole and Tron, um, where I, I you, you know, you can see they've got they they so desperately want to like match the success of Star Wars or something, and it's just not within their their creative ability. Um, but in
2: defense of those movies, those movies were
0: weird. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Right, and in, in those movies, I, I would clearly rather watch each of those movies ten times before having to sit through this nonsense kitty twaddle again. Who's
1: um, this for? I wouldn't even want kids it's to It's not it. even kitty twaddle. It's it's too violent for kids. It's too boring for kids. It's too violent for kids? Even, Why do you say it's, it's too not violent even, for kids? It's not even smart enough for kids. Maybe too violent is the wrong thing to say. Because even, um,
0: even the stuff like when people, like when a jetpack malfunctions and George Clooney is like tumbled to the air, like nobody gets hurt in this.
1: Um, well, I mean, I mean, a few policemen get killed by the robots, but other than that, I guess not. It's, it's I guess, too violent. It's, it's just not even, it's not, it's not smart enough for kids. I don't know who this is for. And I, I don't understand what in the world happened to Brad Bird. I mean, he made Ghost Protocol. What, what's going on here?
2: I think he's off the hook. I maintain it's all it's still because all that can would, do is, is storyboard those sequences and if it's just robots doing nothing. And I think I, not, I, I mean, but he, he
1: gets to edit it. I mean he gets to at least dictate what the pace of the movie is, and the movie is slogging through a swamp for the entire movie.
0: George even, Miller I, couldn't have made this movie. I think either. a lot of this too is just Disney. It's Disney trying to do with Tomorrowland yeah. what they that this this accidental success they had with those pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, movies. you're right. Um and I can't imagine. I mean, they must have. This this feels like it has their corporate fingerprints just all over it. Yeah. Like, like the thing is just sticky with Disney corporate fingerprints.
1: It is really. I mean, one of the one of the real trenchant observations the movie makes is when they find out when we find out that that whole thing that she went through was a commercial, and now we realize the whole thing we went through was basically a commercial. I mean, that's what this is. It's a commercial for Disneyland.
0: Well, and even uh, and not just for Disneyland, for Disney properties. When they go to that little blast from the past thing, and it's full of Star Wars stuff, I couldn't help but Uh, think, "Oh yeah, that's right. Disney just brought Star Wars. They just bought the license for that."
1: Right, Um, and they were reminding
0: you. Right, and
1: the final trailer before this was for Star Wars. So it's it's really all just I think it's just all a huge long commercial.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just just it's you know like we've described other movies this is like corporate product
2: um tomorrowland's barely in the movie she barely ever goes there most of it's set in like woods and how like it's mostly set in our world and then yeah, when you go to it's not even the tomorrowland we know it's right. like the, the swimming pools which is kind of a cool visual but like
1: what so, but which don't make any sense practically in any way I, I mean nothing really makes any sense in this no movie. i don't know why I mean, anything happens in this movie i i could i would I, I would ask you guys to pick apart the rules for like her walking through the, the the this whole thing and how the pins work but what's the point it's this is i, I don't understand what the fuck they were thinking Well, that's it's, why
0: i say it's like kitty twaddle is i think what they're trying to do is make this idea and i don't know what sort of marketing they're planning on doing but this whole idea that hey kids collect these cool magical pins um oh you know, it, it reminds me of like this whole idea of of Pokémons, so are these little creatures you capture in a ball, and you're supposed to collect them. You know, they they end with this message that the the kids are going out into the world with with these little cases full of pins, and they're looking for dreamers. Um, and now you know, now buy our collectible pins. You know, now your kids should col- collect our, our our pins that we're selling.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Let's have a tea. Oh, I hate it. I hate everything about it.
1: I hate the Boy, kids. I was you really know, hoping I would be the wet blanket and you guys would somehow like this movie. What? I was no. Just, I can't
0: imagine anybody liking this. How would you imagine? Dingus, that's an insult. I demand you I, take that back right now.
1: I, uh, think I, I, I I, I, apologize. I take this back. I was just hoping for something because Brad Bird is is really – has really done pretty good work, and so I was surprised at how bored I was during this. I mean, I could not believe how long it took, how terrible the pacing was, how repetitive it was, and how little point it had. And I just thought maybe I'm just in the wrong frame of mind. Maybe those guys will really like it, and I get to be the wet blanket. What? But it's just, dude. Yeah. What do you take you know us what? for? Those
2: Disney movies from the 70s that are, seem goofy to us now, like That Darn Cat and The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes and The gnomobile and Pete's Dragon, like, all oh, that shit's way better than this. And none of those had, like, quote, messages. It just had, like, jokes and crazy shit going on. It was just meant to entertain kids and adults, too. If they, Like, people were all laughing at it. I don't remember this whole thing where you had to, like, target so far down to get...
0: And it's sort of like everything that Brad Bird has done correctly in the past, the, the human qualities of the animated characters in Incredibles, the um, yeah. the, the pacing of Ghost Protocol, the, the fact that Iron Giant avoids the pitfalls of so many like kids' movies, because Iron Giant yeah. clearly is, you know, it, adults can enjoy it, but Iron Giant has a lot of the trappings of a kid's movie. um, But it avoids all of the pitfalls of kids' movies, and the, the saccharine and the cloying, goofy sidekicks and stuff.
1: Um, right.
0: Like, everything that Brad Pitt has accomplished, maybe even against the odds in his career up to now, all of that is, like, gone in this. And all of those problems that could have made Iron Giant or or Incredibles or Ghost Protocol a crappier movie, all of those come, come out in full force in this Tomorrowland crap.
1: What's most amazing to me is the things he makes fun of, the or the movie... The- Incredibles makes fun of this movie. Mm -hmm. The Incredibles, that whole—you've called me monologuing again. This movie is all a bunch of crappy monologues strung together. We even have Hugh Laurie at the end in this ridiculous pontificating, terrible monologue. And Hugh Laurie is somebody I would watch read the phone book. In fact, we just saw Hugh Laurie appear in this great part in in this way we've never I've, I've, I don't recall CM seeing him before in Veep. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to see that guy. I'll see him Ugh. do just about anything. And he does this monologue where I just want to just eject him from the movie. And Brad Bird made fun of that in The Incredibles. He made fun of that very convention, and he falls into it here. Now, I will blame Law from that because this, this movie is all just telling and telling and telling and monologues so and much. monologues. Especially,
0: yeah, after we saw Mad Max, which is such a know. beautiful example yeah. of show, don't tell. Yeah, such a buzz of... is, is, is crammed, crammed full of tell, don't show. And it's, like an, it's amazing what, what an absolute it, – it's a textbook example of how not to – what you don't do in a freaking movie.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And so preachy, Kelly Wands. Like, oh my god, all of that yeah. – crap about you know like global warming and uh you know uh, science should be like for hope and not despair and
1: uh yeah
0: i mean uh, oh my
1: i hate
2: that because you know what like i'm reading the martian right now and like that's a like a book where it's like someone actually trying to solve complicated problems and like having an adventure and shit but you can kind of see what's I don't know. Like, there's no intelligence to... We're just told this chick's intelligent, but she's basically spending the whole movie just being dumb and waiting. To, her only thing is at the moment when when Hugh Laurie monologues, she goes, oh, wait, so you're the bad guy because you just gave a monologue. And that's, like, her
1: payoff. I don't remember her doing anything else. Well, let's, like, Can we talk a little bit about this female quote-unquote protagonist? And, and I, I don't know what to make of that. What do we make of that? Is, I mean as a sort of a, a a convention right now of, of and because we just saw fury road and uh and, and i think we all agreed that the 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 female-centric ver- the, the female-centric nature of that movie and how that was actually carried forth in a non-obvious but still really vital way matters to the movie but in in this movie this this character casey newton um what does it matter that she's female? I mean, I, I guess I respect the idea of it, but isn't it just that's it. pandering? I mean, what what uh, does that do for this movie? I mean, and I don't know about other... pandering
0: because I do think it's a noble pursuit. It's, it's have this idea of, you know, the, these, these uh, I think they call them STEM studies, these traditional uh, areas of, of, of education that women historically have steered clear of and have become the domain of men. Um, is it called STEM studies? Did I just make that up?
1: No, no, so, you're right, STEM.
0: Yeah, science, technology, electronics, mathematics, whatever.
1: Um, mathematics, right, right.
0: You know, I love this idea of fostering the uh, heroines who, who are invested in this. Um, right. But, like, she doesn't do anything smart in this. Like, she's there. she's got pluck and grit, and I guess she's, you know, like, she's an all shucks, go out and do it kind of character. And she's honest to her father, whatever. But I couldn't help but watch this and fondly recall, I know you guys didn't like this movie as much as I did. But man, I loved uh an actress named Mackenzie Foy in Interstellar. Um and there was this idea that she was like super smart about about science and history, um and, and math and decoding these signals that she was getting in her bedroom and there was this real sense of of a kid inspired by her, her, her father, um, just really being smart and doing smart stuff and growing up into a rocket scientist, Jessica Chastain. Um so I, I don't know that I would call it pandering. I think it's just a poorly done example of something that I love seeing in movies. Um, you know, a smart little girl being smart about things that historically little girls aren't portrayed as being smart about in movies. Um,
1: right, and, and I, I I think pandering is probably the wrong choice of word because I think the portrayal is the problem here, um, um, because. I think that this what the study seemed to show is that that women or girls have a huge aptitude for that and then they just it suddenly trickles off after a certain point which is a huge detriment to society and for it to be portrayed in a in a in an interesting and strong way is really really great but I don't under, my difficulty with this movie is 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 this a is this female character a worthwhile character is the portrayal worthwhile and more, more to the point for me is if you're going to have a female character doing these things, do we have to have her do things or is it, should it be specifically female? Is there is there something that should make me think this is why a girl is playing this poor part instead of a boy? This is why this is a female character instead of a male character. Is there something inherently female to this character? And so I got lost in all of these things when I was trying to kind of suss out why this character is just – I, and I think it's the writing, but yeah. I, I don't know. I got lost. I, mean, to a lot I think of that. you're
0: asking us to look for a thematic reason in, in a script that is just absolute trash.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. So,
0: but that's a good question. Like, for instance, when we talk about Mad Max, you know, is, is Furiosa being a woman important? And I yes. think yes, because she is she is carrying away the treasure of fertility away from right. this oppressive man. Yeah, yeah, it's important that she's a woman. It's
2: the theme of the movie. The whole movie yeah. is about that. And this could have been that. And that's what that's. Pure Road really does ruin this movie even more than it already would have been
0: well you know what else ruins this movie is Ex Machina you know this whole idea of, yeah. a, of, a, of a man's relationship to a, a robot and the deception involved in that and is the robot reciprocating and you know I, I thought it was actually frankly and, and maybe it's just because I already hated the movie but this idea of George Clooney flying away with a little girl in his arms and the little girls proclaiming basically I always loved you Ugh. and his love for like I uh. thought that was kind of weirdly creepy um,
1: yeah. It was this, so creepy that I was worried he was going to kiss her. In you the know,
0: air. really, Dingus, it really did look like in a clumsier director, like could have made this a pedophile's dream. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and I'm worried about that. Go ahead,
0: Tom. But just more importantly, it made me think of how good Ex Machina was. You know, here's this cool idea: this this robot who actually has feelings, um, not feelings, but who develops this weird. Capacity who develops, for who develops or, empathy? I mean, right, right, she exactly. talks about
1: empathy. Yeah, or empathy
0: module or something. Right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. There, there's so many. You know, watching this movie is an exercise in realizing how much better other movies are.
2: Yeah, and even it movies that really are good. Disney movies.
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll be curious, you know, there are over-unders. I didn't know what to do with this because it, it really is just complete junk. What could possibly God. be worse than Tomorrowland?
1: It, it, um, and, and it's so hard to bracket the top one, too. I mean, it was a really difficult choice. But as far as the, the, the thing that you brought up about Ex Machina, Tom, I'm so happy you brought that up. Because when she – I thought Athena – I really liked what that character, what that actor was yeah, doing, yeah, yeah. and I really loved yeah. this character. I thought that was the most interesting part of the movie, and the idea of her as a because she's this teenage robot, her developing those emotions and developing a sense of empathy, accidentally because her empathy circuits are broken, or whatever reason you want to make, to be a far more compelling story than anything else that was going on, and and I thought of that as a contrast to Ex Machina because because. So many people because I I got this I, I got this feeling of, well, geez, maybe maybe Ava is actually has empathy, but then everybody told me no no, she's just been programmed that that way. But this movie shows this teenage robot that maybe broke out of that. And that's that's an interesting idea that that maybe this this AI, this robot actually developed empathy, and that's an actual real thing that could happen. And I wish that we would have spent time with that instead of anything else that was going on yeah, in this movie. It's sort of
0: like Lindelof almost accidentally had an interesting aspect of his movie. Exactly. He didn't even realize an it, and it just kind of sat there on the table, yeah. and he didn't even notice it. Yeah.
2: Right. He tripped over a gold coin oh. by accident.
0: And didn't even pick it up, yeah. yeah. And it's so clumsy, too. I mean, just just from a filmmaking perspective, to have her... At her dying moment, play a tape
1: oh, Jesus.
0: of what she thought way back then, and and not have her face like the actor's just sitting there and is playing like a voiceover, like that uh, was so completely clumsy. Um,
2: they're even like, telling you that like it's the way right, thing. Where,
0: right, right, At exactly. least give was a
2: special effect. No.
0: Yep. No show. And I guess there was a stupid little flashback scene, but I'm just gonna sit here and we're just gonna we're just gonna tell you with the equivalent of a voiceover. Uh, yeah. These are my words,
2: Tom. I'm Damon Lindelof.
1: Yeah. I mean, the amount of monologuing in this movie is unbelievable, and it's such lazy writing. I can't believe that that he gets away with this. I mean, unbelievable. And the movie begins with this ridiculous monologue that, once you get to the end of the movie, doesn't even make any
0: sense. And I I also thought, by the way, I think Dingus, you're the only one who's seen this. I mean, I couldn't help but watch this movie and think, oh, yeah, that's kind of like another movie where this was a great moment. The bookend stuff in um, Grand Budapest Hotel – with Tom Wilkinson trying (laughs) to talk to the camera while he's being interrupted off-camera. Like, there's stuff happening with his kid. It's distracting him. Like, I loved that bit in the beginning of Grand Budapest Hotel. And here, it was just like, who is this annoying off-camera character? Because even the dialogue at that point is just awful.
2: Yeah.
0: I mean, I was even annoyed that early on in the movie when I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, when I come into a movie, I'm, I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt. I want to like it. And just yeah. early on, this movie was like, I'm going to do annoying things to you, so you won't like me.
1: Um, At that point, I thought it was a computer that kept interrupting him, and that was uh, what I was hoping for. And then we get to her, and she is just so unappealing. I, Oh, my God. And and, and I'm so happy that – I mean, as much as I like I, – I mean, Piper Bravo is so great in one particular movie we've seen. But it's, it's a very funny that you use – that you actually use her as the stand-in for this particular actress, uh, Britt Robertson, who I just – I don't think she's any good at this at all.
0: Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was reluctant to – I mean I feel bad because she's young and maybe she's just not – doesn't have a voice yet or something. Or But yeah, I didn't care for her either. And I even really didn't like Clooney. Like him trying to be irascible yeah. No, just, he's, just felt so false. Saying, yeah. He's bad
1: in this. He's yeah. really not very any is, good. He's, but it's he's, not his fault, I don't think. But he's bad. I don't think
2: anybody's. He, there's anybody no ever. relation to his child self. Like if it and, makes no sense that that kid would grow into him.
0: And that kid was like, really creepy too. Like that kid, I don't know yeah. what. It, like he could play like some weird, like in some evil kid movie or something. Like I don't know why they decided to pick that kid to be a young Clooney. He was, was smug and creepy. I didn't like. I him. don't yeah. either. He
1: was weird, and yeah. he does look strangely like the other kid, Pierce Gagnon, right. who yeah. plays Nate. And you know, he was the the weird, powerful kid in Looper. Um, oh, thank you, Dinkus. Uh, I knew I'd seen him oh. doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Huh. But, good, but they good both pull. look
1: s- slightly similar. That you're yeah. Like, Is that, am I supposed yeah, to there's think? there's two
2: girls, two, two... And then that character's never in it. Neither of them are. Both the boys kind of get written out.
1: So you have the two girl characters. Oh, it's such
0: a, there's so many bad
1: ideas. It's Tom, were like you super, super excited when Keegan-Michael Key showed up?
0: Oh, my God. Well, okay, so here's the funny thing. So I went and saw, and on the same day... I, I saw Pitch Perfect 2, and, I, <laughs> went into it, and I, I went straight from that into Tomorrowland. Um, what's Purge his name that taste. Key, uh, Anthony? No, Michael Key. No, he's the Key and Peel guy. What's his name, Dingus? <laughs> I I'm just trying his to name you is, your day. The his name
1: though. is Keegan-Michael Key.
0: Keegan-Michael Key. Right. Okay, so yeah. that guy I normally find really annoying, mainly because – uh, Dingus and I watched a, a series – actually, One, I think you saw this uh, – the series Fargo, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, actually, Dingus, I don't think you ever saw the last episode. But Keegan, this guy Keegan, Michael Key, and his comedy partner Somebody Somebody Peel, uh, they show up in Fargo. They are they are absolutely out of their – like it, they're so ill-fitting to what th- that series has achieved by this point um, that it really turned me off that actor for a while. And I've seen some of their sketch comedy stuff, and it's just not for me. It's fine. Um, but one of the rare, and it's mainly because the rest of the movie was really bad, but Keegan-Michael Key is also in Pitch Perfect 2. What? And,
2: and oh, he's, no.
0: He's kind of good in it, though, because he, he's playing a guy. He's basically, he's playing an asshole, um, and he's supposed to be grading. And then at a point later in the movie, at the very end, it turns out, you know what, it's kind of – like, it's for the best as far as the character to whom he is being an asshole. He plays Becca's boss at an internship that she takes at a recording studio. Um, and he's a jerk to her. Uh, he sort of pushes her to to do stuff that uh, that she doesn't want to do. And he's uh, he, he makes harsh, critical comments towards her. But at the end, you find out he really does believe in her talent. And there's this kind of cool moment where he's like, you know, I – I really did this to make you better, and I think there's a good future for you. And I don't like it when people are as good at their jobs as you are. And you know, go out and get them. Uh, and it's this kind of cool turnaround. Um, so he was actually good and pitch perfect too. Um, so Dingus, when he showed up in, in this, I had a little bit of goodwill towards him. And All besides, right. Catherine Hahn was in the scene. So,
1: well, I, I actually kind of liked him in Parks and Rec. I have to be I have to be honest with you. Oh
0: my God, who was he in Parks and Rec? Oh right, the, the husband. Yeah, yeah, very good. Or the uh, the uh, boyfriend. Yeah,
1: she's he's husband. he's but Donna's. He's yeah. as Like, oh my God, this guy, he, uh, he's going to be such a problem. And he's like, I baked cookies for these parents.
0: You know, what, fair point, Dingus. And I, I think he like that kind of sitcom appearance and that kind of just straight up sitcom character. And and like, yeah, you know what? I liked him in Parks and Rec too. So, based on that and Pitch Perfect two, I'm I'm no longer. It's just he was so out of him and his buddy were so out of place in Fargo.
1: They were just
2: out of their depth. Yeah. You're right. Um, I can't but, believe you saw that shit back to back. That's freaking me. Well, out, and think. you know
0: what I thought the whole time because Pitch Perfect Two early on, it's very clear that uh, this is going to be terrible. So I basically spent four over four hours because yeah. Pitch Perfect Two comes in at like uh, I think 115 minutes. This was 130 what? minutes. Um, <laughs> I know.
1: And you I, feel just, every one of them twice. So, yeah. And
0: not only that, but I spent four hours thinking, God, I could be next door watching Mad Max again. I know. (laughs) Seriously, I I, I was thinking of just getting up and going and just walking to whatever theater was playing. It's fine if I got in the middle of it. I just wanted to see more of Mad Max, and I stuck out. I stuck with both of them. This for the podcast and Pitch Perfect 2, hoping it might get good. Um, But, yeah, so... It's
2: it's so so funny to me that... Well, go on.
0: No, I just want to say, so Dingus, when he showed up, I was kind of... I would made my peace with him, and I was willing to see what he could do, and First brief scene, whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, all, like, I, like, all I can think of is like, oh, what's Tom going to think at this point? Because right, right. I was so bored. I, I was so bored in this movie. And and my girlfriend was even more bored than I was. She was oh, just... you
0: made her see it. Uh.
1: <laughs> and I feel terrible about that. Because like you said, Tom... All I could think of was, "Damn, I wish she had seen Mad Max right, with us right. instead of this."
0: Because I had time to show her Mad Max,
1: but and no. I think that she would totally groove on that. And and I mean, she said m- many of the same points that I'm saying about that's, that's the crappy things that they do with that female character and how terrible a character it is. Ugh.
0: Well, let's talk. A, over, oh, go ahead, Kelly.
2: Just real quick, there was like a quote by Lindelof where he was saying how proud he was of Tomorrowland because he sees it as a bigger challenge to not do a dystopia movie. And therefore, he is the shit because he was able to make a movie that was, even though it was harder, he admitted, it was so much more satisfying to make a non-dystopian movie. You know, like Mad Max, Fury Road, that kind of thing. Too easy. <laughs>
0: Well, the thing is, it really did seem to have this chip on its shoulder about mm. n- about negative science fiction, like all science fiction should be hopeful yeah. and um and there's plenty of science fiction like interstellar by the way, is not right. despairing science fiction i mean there's it yeah. just depends on what you look for uh if you want to just look at all science fiction that says the world is going to shit, you can find it yeah, there's plenty there but and also by the way, a lot of science fiction. It's just a reflection of the current zeitgeist. Like, we tend to think of the future however we feel about the present. Um,
1: Right. But it's also just wagging its finger at something while indulging in it. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, like, uh, we hate porn. Let's show you a bunch of porn. I mean, it was just – Yeah, now here's a dystopian future that we have to (laughs) (laughs) –
0: with robots. There's robots too. What the? Let's do over unders because I had no idea. I had no idea what to do with the movie. The hell
1: with those robot assassins. I mean, they could they could jump around like the Matrix dudes. And they had weird smiles, but they had to run upstairs of the Apple Tower like everybody else.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they got stuck on the outside. That guy. This is the main villain. You never see him die, or isn't it? There's no final I, shot of I him. I briefly
0: thought that dude was Jim Carrey. I was like, oh, we have Jim Carrey. <laughs> and Gary. And yeah.
2: Like, no. When he, Yeah, I thought that too actually. Yeah.
0: All right, so for my over/under, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I basically, because I really do feel like the the idea behind this movie, um, even though kids should, I imagine, would hate this movie, it'd be boring for them. I think this was a, an example of Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof thinking, let's make a movie for kids, you know, that adults will enjoy as well. Um, so my over and under are adults making kiddie movies that they think adults will also like, and of oh, course, I like failing this. miserably.
1: Right, so like
0: that's my theme. I think the over for this, and, and, and by the way, these are also directors who I think should know better. Um, the over for this, um, a movie I also didn't like, but I think is better than this, is Super 8, which is J.J. J. Abrams Ugh. thinking, I'm going to make a movie about the magic of childhood, and it's going to be like E.T., but it's going to be a monster in it, um, but the kids are all the heroes, um, and it'll have some redemptive message at the end. Uh and, and Super 8, I also think, is similarly clumsy. It's confused about who it's for. Um, but at least there's a couple of interesting performances in it. Um, I forget which fanning. I think it's Elle Fanning. Um,
2: and the makeup artist is the hero. That's kind of interesting.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. This idea of the, the, the kid being like a horror movie geek as a kid, and mm. he's wanting to make a zombie movie. and um, Yeah, some of that's interesting. Uh yeah, so that I guess I would say about even though I didn't like Super 8, it has some interesting ideas as well. But again, I think it's J.J. J. Abrams thinking I'm going to make something, you know, obviously it was a nod towards E.T., I'm going to make a Spielbergian movie about the wonder and magic of childhood. Uh, and it didn't work. So, as for thinking about something that is worse than <laughs> Tomorrowland, which is a real accomplishment, uh, I also similarly hated Hugo, uh, which mm. Martin Scorsese directed. Up. And Martin' oh, of man, that's a people. good choice
1: that's a really good choice Tom yeah,
0: and he should know better uh he was so confused with what he did with the, you know asa butterfield and and Chloe Grace Moritz grace Grace Moritz uh, I keep forgetting uh <laughs> Chloe Grace Martha. Moritz uh you know they they're both left adrift in this he has no idea what to do with them Sasha Baron Cohen does this crazy you know he's a French guard and there's dogs chasing him, and it's wacky uh Ben Kingsley shows up as this kind of Obi Wan curator of old films. Uh, like it is so confused <laughs> and it's turgid, and there, you know, it has pacing issues, and you're wondering the whole time what the hell is he doing here. Uh, and I was also just bored out of my skull in Hugo, so I think Hugo is worse than Tomorrowland.
1: I remember us watching Hugo and like. The editing was so horrible that we would laugh between the moment, like an editing moment happened, yeah. and when the joke was supposed to spring.
0: Right, like, like cuts, like, yeah, editing choices were funny for how bad they were. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we could because we, we had laughter space between the actual editing. It was so weird. It was such a surreal experience watching yeah. Hugo.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I don't think anybody's gonna like Tomorrowland, but some people no. do like Hugo. And I guess it's because...
1: Wait, if Hugo ro- won... Didn't it win him Best Director? What? No. No. Yeah. That can't be true. Was he
0: even nominated? I, you know, it wouldn't surprise he me if Departed. he was nominated. Um, or even if he won. Who knows? The Academy a lot of times will give someone an award based on past work. So I don't know. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah I, I thought Hugo was was similarly inept. Because Brad Bird, Martin Scorsese, and even J.J. J. Abrams, I, I think, should know better. Um all right, so those are my over and unders. How did you guys deal with this challenge? Kelly, why don't you go next?
2: Um, I guess my over's Interstellar, because I didn't like it. Right. But it at least had a little science in it.
0: So basically you were going with, like, other science fiction? Is that the idea?
2: Well, or like a girl character, like kind of what you were saying okay. before. Uh-huh. I guess I'm probably piggybacking again. But also, you know what? My over should be The Martian, even though it's not finished yet, and it's Ridley Scott. But, like, that movie seems impossible to fuck up to a Tomorrowland degree. And it's I, kind I, of, I can it's, see
0: I can see The Martian being fucked up. I, I mean, I can see...
2: Not uh, like this, though. It won't be like, you gotta be optimistic to survive Mars. Right. It'll be like, there's gonna be at least a little adventure, I think. If Ridley Scott
0: approaches The Martian as just a straight-up disaster movie, I think it'll be hard to fuck up, but I can imagine him trying to do other things with it and it not working. I don't know, we'll see.
2: But just looking at it. Like I'll look at Mars. As opposed to looking at Tomorrowland, like there's no there's nothing cool to look at in Tomorrowland at all. Like there's no visuals. Which, and I'd by rather the way, look that at. that in at,
0: and of itself is quite an accomplishment too. Isn't that yeah. shocking? Hey it, Robert, is, make a yeah. future city with rockets and jetpacks and make it boring. Million. Yeah.
2: hundred million not right. can't see any of it. And then my under I guess would be uh I didn't see Haunted Mansion, so I guess Space Jam. Like where you just feel like a marketing people came up with let's make a movie about Tomorrowland. We'll Wait. just hire someone really cool to do
0: it. Is Space Jam that thing with like Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny, that thing? Yeah. Okay.
2: Where you just feel like you're watching corporate logos right, right. sign contracts, basically. All
0: right. But
2: like like that's probably worse than Tomorrowland, I think.
0: Dingus, what do you got? How, how could you possibly uh, accomplish the task of thinking of something worse than Tomorrowland?
1: I still don't understand what the, what the visual that she's looking at is supposed to be. It's a commercial? The,
0: the visual, the, what do you mean? The, the... The,
1: when she gets into Tomorrowland, right. what she finds out in the end is it's a commercial that she's seen. Right. We saved a seat just for you. That's all a this... commercial. Everything that she's experienced is a commercial, Right.
0: Right. I mean, that's what we're left it's with. A, it's, so, a, it's a way to lure people into – it's kind of like the way the aliens would make people dream about Devil's Tower in Close Encounters. Okay, like here's, so, here's this subliminal, although it's, it's uh, 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 hypoliminal, like what do you call it? Or conscious. Like here's this way that we are going to get into the minds of people and lure them to us, I think. With these so, swimming pools.
1: So when they drop off all the pins at the end, it's to get people back into that commercial?
0: Well, yeah. To get the, yeah, they're going to show them the commercial and then bring them to this, this enclave of the world's best and brightest. Yeah. Okay. Which, by uh, the way, is right. another what? thing, as I was watching. You know, the, the, the game Bioshock is all about the same idea. Is what if the best and brightest of the world, to, to free themselves from the decay of modern society, they retreat, they build their own city, and then they advance to a art. higher technology uh, than the rest of the world. And then somebody discovers that hidden world. Yeah, I love that in Bioshock. Sure. And here, how do you make something like that tall?
1: Uh... I, I, or, or just so incomprehensible. I mean, I, I, all I could think of when she was running through this, what's supposed to be a fantastical world, is why isn't she running into trees yet?
0: I know, um, right, right? Yeah.
1: But anyway, my under... I, I didn't do... Um, I mean, I tried to bracket as best I could, and I but I couldn't come up with a theme for both sides of the bracket. So I... Are you guys still there? Yeah, Yeah.
0: we're still here. All
1: right. You couldn't
0: come up with a theme for both sides, so you did a separate theme for your over than your under.
1: Yeah, so for my under I basically went with with kids who go to another world and are transported to another world and have to save this world. And for the under it would have to be the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. I Warcraft.
0: thought about doing that too, dingus. That's a good pick.
1: I really I don't about, I really hated that movie. I hate I mean all of these things are most of them are are some sort of adaptation for something or other, but I really hated the way that the Narnia movie was 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 realized. So much so that I haven't seen any of the others. How many have been made? The makeup is horrible. All of it is horrible. Um, I, I just think, is what, as great as the cast is, I could not stand the Narnia movie. So I would put marginally, I would put Tomorrowland above Narnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for over, my bracketing would be um, basically, and this is this bracket isn't as close. Uh, this is this is more about. Kid inventors who get uh, recruited to do something huge. And and I thought of this movie specifically during the scene when uh, she is in Tomorrowland, uh, when Casey is running through Tomorrowland and she sees the dudes in the jetpack and the one guy crashes and his suit puffs up right. and he bounces down. And I immediately thought of Big Hero 6. Oh, which, ouch. Yeah. Which movie I really liked. I really oh. liked Big Hero 6 a lot. Um, but. Uh so but I would but I didn't like it as much as like a couple of people that I talked to about Tomorrowland were like, oh, like Wally and I'm like, no, oh, no, Wally is light years ahead of where Tomorrowland is. Um but I would put I would I would put since I like Wally so much more than Big Hero Six, I would put Big Hero Six above.
0: Kelly, did you see Big Hero Six?
1: No. I don't see movies with numbers in the title.
0: One, two- <laughs> what?
2: <laughs> you know what? Tomorrow, let's not
0: work. <laughs> okay, one, speaking of numbers, it's good enough Linda transition gonna for me. Psych. Oh, what? Because Henry VIII
2: has a number. Oh,
0: good point. It does. So. Yeah.
1: You have a number.
2: I thought that's what you meant. 9-11. You see? Wait, so... Um <clears throat> Tomorrowland still exists, at not Right. But the movie takes place in Florida. Do they have a Tomorrowland at Disney?
1: It's an Epcot center thing. But the movie I mean, we okay. had this whole is Carousel of Progress. Welcome to our world. I mean, it was this great. It was just something I really remembered It, it doesn't it has nothing to do with any of that. But.
0: What's the week for? What's that about? I don't know. It's a metaphor Kelly wanted. Instead,
1: they couldn't use corn because that had been branded by um, uh, Interstellar.
0: Ah, very good. I think right. They needed a different crop. Um,
2: yeah.
0: Well, no, it's clear it's a metaphor for growing uh, for the future, you know, like cultivating dreamers to become the scientists of the, you know, the, the foundation of the future of society or some crap like dreamers. that, I'm sure. Yeah. Dreamers. What's Damon Lindelof's next project, by the way? What, what, what do we need to for steer clear to of? That I don't think that's ever going to happen.
1: Did he do all of Lost? I mean, I don't have any experience no. with Lost. Is he? Expe- I know that you guys blame no. him for the downfall of Lost.
0: Uh, actually, I don't even think that's fair because I think he was like he sort of started it and it got turned over. think like, I think he was one of those. I don't know if it's the equivalent of a showrunner, but I think he was constantly there. But they had other writers. It made you know, him cocky, clearly though. I know that Drew Goddard, who you know, I think we all liked what he did with Joss Whedon and Cabin of the Woods. Um, Drew Goddard's also writing something else I'm looking forward to it. I can't remember what it is. Um, but yeah, yeah, and he's... Uh, Lindelof! I think, I think oh. Lindelof was working on Lost throughout, I'm pretty sure. Is that right, Kelly Wand? Uh, it just... I, mean, I, know Abrams, I know
1: Lost started well, and so you could give him credit for that, right?
0: Well, no, what wait. Lost started well is it was just a, a mystery, and the reason it started well and the reason it was intriguing is you want to know, oh, what's the resolution for this going to be? I mean, anybody can come up with something that's weird and yeah. mysterious um, to just get like your interest.
2: Um, but Lindelof was also the one who was saying, oh, we got this, we got the ending, we know what we're doing. Yeah, and that was a lie. we all over it. Yeah. Um, anyway. Like, what is w- he, he was never good. He never had a glory period.
0: Unless it was lost. Yeah, I think, he, I think he peaked in Prometheus, Kelly Wand. All right, let's put Lindelof behind us. That's one more movie he's ruined. I think we're done with him, right?
1: No yeah, more I, think, I think we're pretty
0: much done. He's yeah. good for the Opsis. That is true. If there's another movie written by Damon Lindelof, I do want to see it just so that we can have a Kelly Wand op-sus. Yeah. Is it so worth it, though? Actually, you know what? I hate to do this on the podcast, but I'm going to. I'm going to right now put his name into... IMDB and let's see what we've got coming up that we need to be concerned Avoid. about. Uh, he keeps so, getting work. It looks like uh Tomorrowland is his most recent credit as a writer. So maybe he's done even, now.
2: Even they know. Even Disneyland's like, alright. Yeah. Who whose idea was Lindelof? Ridley.
0: I mean the thing is I I think he's just such a uh act. Well, I, I mean, I think he's just so entrenched in Hollywood. I mean, we're going to get plenty more Damon Lindelof.
2: So. I like how, oh, you got to be optimistic. Like, you would only say that if everyone was saying, hey, you're a terrible writer. I'm just going to be optimistic about it. Like, if you were <laughs> right. a good writer, you wouldn't be going, optimism, you wouldn't need it. You'd so he wrote this out of a, a sense
0: of sort of desperate, a, a desperate attempt to read. himself. It's a cry for, for health. Right, right. Yeah. Sure. All right. All right, well, let's do a three-by-three three about... Uh, monarchs so these are kings and queens <laughs> in movies uh i picked this as a topic because i hugely enjoyed a series called wolf hall um in which uh damian lewis played king henry henry the 8th um and i am not a huge fan of damian lewis I, I never really like homeland never worked for me what i saw of it um but he was great as henry the 8th uh and he was even kind of peripheral to the 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 series was mainly about uh Thomas more, no uh Thomas Cromwell who was who became one of his advisors and the series was more about his rise to power um how he interacted with people in the court and with the king himself um and there's it reminded me of one specifically one movie which is one of my my picks here uh and mainly I want to talk about this movie so I came up with this topic as an excuse to bring up What eventually became my number two choice. Um, So, these are actual kings. The idea is, you know, a monarchy is where the king, by divine right or whatever, becomes the ruler. um, And it's passed down through through hereditary, like the king's son becomes the next king. Um, There are no elections or whatever. (laughs) So, I want from you guys your favorite kings or queens in movies. Kelly, or no, Dingus, you're introducing next week's topic... So why don't you start us off with your number three favorite king or queen from the movie?
1: All right. I will start with a quote from it. Mops. Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, No. Um, This is uh, from the movie. I I love this movie. I think I'm very much in the minority in this case. Uh, This is the movie Marie Antoinette. That was uh,
0: (laughs) – Oh, I knew that it was something with it. Yeah. So Dingus, you only picked this because you saw me watching it. it. (laughs) Tedgummit.
1: Sorry. Um, and, it's of course, she has to give up her pet dog. Mops, uh, right. Mops. And, and they promise uh,
0: they'll get her a French dog to replace She can
1: have him, as right? many French pugs as she wants. Right. Um, and and uh, I, I just love uh, Kirsten Dunn's portrayal of this. And I'm not quite sure what to do with as far as like whether I like the monarch or the portrayal or the movie. But I love this movie so much. I have such a warm... Spot in my heart for the way that Sophie Coppola created this movie and how I expected really not to like it. It seems such like the poster even seems weird. Um, but I love this this weird mishmash of styles that somehow Sophie Coppola makes work. And I really... I, I, and I also love the fact that it kind of made me look to what who Marie Antoinette was, uh, what, you know, when she became a queen, how she became a queen, as you know, coming from Austria, having to give up her little dog, how important that was to her, and then uh, and not getting an heir for so long, because uh, obviously she's with uh, Schwartzman. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, anyway, so it's Marie Antoinette.
0: Oh, and you're actually picking uh, Kristen Dunst.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh.
0: So I picked uh, uh, Marie Antoinette as my number three as my number three pick, but it was for the Gaul, or not Gaul, but I guess the... So Dingus, you describe a mishmash of styles, and that's certainly true, and among the mishmash of styles are some of her casting choices. Um, and anybody who comes up with the idea of casting Rip Torn as the king of France, <laughs> that is just so delightfully inspired, because it makes no sense... Uh you know, Richard. Schwarzenegger.
2: Horn... Schwarzenegger? Well I'm just saying that would be
0: What did we see recently? Oh yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a brief sight gag in, in the second Jurassic Park, which Dingus and I just watched with his son, uh where there's a poster for Arnold Schwarzenegger as King Lear in a blockbuster that gets attacked by the T Rex.
2: Yeah. Um What's that supposed to mean? Is that Spielberg? Uh
0: okay. yeah, that was a that was the Spielberg one. Um that's but I, I love so and part of what I like about too and I, I legitimately like it I, I, uh, so watching Maria Ant- uh, watching this a second time, I'm still not crazy about it because I prefer some of Sofia Coppola's other stuff but I do I do love certainly the production design is just irresistible it's a, it's a gorgeous it's a freaking gorgeous movie um, and and the mishmash of actors in it like having there's there's a British actress with uh, a really high pinched voice. I think her name is Shirley Henderson and casting this British actress who you would see in, you know, like masterpiece theater stuff alongside, I think it's Molly Shannon, uh, (laughs) as these two female courtiers who are constantly gossiping about things. Uh, just putting those together is just delightfully wacky casting. I love that she did stuff like that. So rip torn is King Louis, the 15, whatever. I don't know what number it is. Uh, Riptorn Torn is that King Louis, just makes no sense, because he's just being ripped Torn. You know, you've got Steve Cougoon, who's very English, who uh, is who's like the, his main, I don't know, liaison to the Queen or whatever. Um, you know, you've got very English people, Judy Dench, for instance, uh, playing other people in the court. And then Rip Torn is, is the King of France. I love that. So that's my number three pick for how it kind of shows this idea of the King is just so other, Like it's a completely, you know, you cannot understand. A king transcends mere humanity. He's so completely different from other people around him, Uh, and Riptorn captures that in, in, by being their their king, Louis. Um,
1: I have I have to admit I did not watch it again. And I, when Kelly, uh, I know I'm sorry when you first gave us the topic. Uh, she's the first thing that came to mind actually something else came to mind i thought well no i can't pick that that's too obvious and then i crossed that out during the as we were talking because i usually scribble some notes real quick and then i thought of this because I, i have such a soft spot in my heart for this um so i i wrote this down and i meant to watch it this week and i couldn't and then you said hey i have to show you something and what did you have to show me
0: so uh and he's listed in the credits at the at the head of the movie, so i was I was curious to see when does he come up because back then we didn't really know who he was. Um, Tom Hardy is actually uh, probably among the first like i think maybe twelve fifteen names uh, in the credits at the head of the movie um, so Tom Hardy has basically he's in two scenes um, when a bunch of people from i guess it's the Revolutionary War in America. Who, who fought on behalf of the Americans with France, when a bunch of them come and stay with the Queen and her entourage, Tom Hardy is one of them. And there's a scene where they play that game, you saw this in *Inglorious Bastards too, where you write a famous character, and then you put it on your head, and you ask people, you know, am I a guy or am I a girl? Am I still alive? Am I a scientist? And you try to figure out who you are. They do a scene like that, uh, and and uh, Tom Hardy draws Mozart, uh, and they're all trying to guess who they are. So he's in that scene, and then very briefly he's in a scene where he talks to – who is he talking to, Dingus? Do you remember?
1: I don't, is, it, is it Rose? It's not Rose Byrne. Just, I know she's oh, no, it is Rose. Isn't it Rose Byrne? I don't remember.
0: Yeah, but anyway, he's talking to someone else as they're looking at Marie Antoinette uh, flirting with another general with whom she ends up having an affair. Um, but yeah, so he's just very briefly in those two scenes.
1: I was so it was so funny when you showed me that clip and I but I still wouldn't have imagined that I did not imagine you would have picked somebody from this and I and that you picked Rip Torn is great because I I love that guy so much mainly because of two things one is the Larry Sanders show in right. which he was utterly brilliant yeah. and the other is defending your life in which he is again utterly brilliant
0: yeah. and he always plays himself I mean that's the yeah. thing is yeah he's just Rip Torn being Rip Torn which is a lot of fun to watch yeah. Yeah. You know, I actually really liked watching it again this time. Dingus is uh, Jason Schwartzman, because it's not like he—he he seems he does a sort of lot. Like when he's in a lot of uh, Wes Anderson movies, uh, he's just there for the laughs and he's kind of playing it up and having fun, and you know, he's being Jason Schwartzman. Uh, I think there's this real kind of uh, like sad insecurity to what he's doing as the prince and later the king. Uh, there's clearly a sense of a guy who doesn't quite know what he's supposed to do and isn't it's just very uncertain. And you know, the scenes where he's in bed with Kristen Dunst, and she's trying to have sex with him so that she can produce an heir, um and he just wants to go to sleep and he's
1: uh, he's
0: just very <laughs> uncomfortable and he doesn't quite know how to deal with it, uh and then later when he does become the king and he's having these meetings and discussing policy, uh yeah, I really liked him in that. So I almost picked him, but you just can't you know, Rip Torn is King Louis the fifteenth, whatever. I, I just think you can't top that. Um
2: Uh actually the best king of
1: France is Rip Taylor. What's the movie he's what's the Stephen Steve Martin movie he's in?
0: Jason Schwartzman? Oh, where the uh the cat there's a it feels like someone throwing cotton so at my balls. Shop girl, shop girl. Shop
1: girl, shop girl, yeah. thank you. All right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Dingus, mm. have you ever seen that uh I wanna say it's called Rush, where he plays Is it like a meth dealer or something?
1: Jeez, no, what? I don't know what you're talking about. That's awesome.
0: uh, Mickey Rourke is in it. Kelly Wan, do you know what I'm talking about? It's uh, a a Danish director who used to previously just do videos. He made this movie. Not Rush. What is it called?
2: Jason Patrick's
1: thing?
0: No, no, you're right. That is (laughs) Rush.
1: Is
2: it NARC?
0: No,
1: No, it can't be. That's too far. That's too far.
0: (laughs) Blur or, oh, gummit. what is that thing? There's even a weird thing where he leaves a, uh, woman, a naked woman tied to his bed for a while. Jason Schwartzman does.
2: Well, sometimes you got to make sure the bed's going to be there when you get back.
0: All right, I'm going <laughs> to cheat. I'm looking it up. It was called. Um. I don't know where it is here. Spun. Yeah. What? Am I the only one who saw Spun? All, right. Spun. Another, it,
1: all of these are like four-letter movies. So Spun. Is Spun okay. worth watching? Do you know?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. It's weird. Um, so maybe a little bit too hip and stylistic for its own stylish for its own good, but
2: uh, like Tomorrowland?
0: No, nothing like
2: Tomorrowland. No. Oh, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah. All right. So Kelly, Wan, Diggins, and I both picked Marie Antoinette um, for our number three. What is your number three pick for a favorite monarch in a movie? My three daughters don't get along. Very good.
2: That's only Shakespeare, I right know.
0: Now, now, now yeah, do that in big pentameter.
2: It's Arnold as King Lear in Lost I World. I got it. I understood. Yeah. So that's my number three. <laughs>
0: oh, wait. What? No. All
2: right. I'm just kidding.
0: He's not, my number th- he's not actually in it. It's his likeness that's in it.
2: It counts, though, right?
0: I don't know. Does he, does he get paid for that, you think?
2: It's the king of the dinosaurs versus the king of movies. My actual number three, though, is Mila Kunis in Jupiter Ascending, because it made me realize how arbitrary monarchies are. Um.
0: She's actually a king in that. I listen to you guys' podcast, but I'm none the wiser for the 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 actual. Plot. She's a
2: queen, and yeah. um, she learns this because bees keep uh, stinging her. And then Sean Bean goes, "Oh, that's because bees always recognize royalty." Huh. All
0: right.
1: Because bees always recognize royalty.
2: Yeah, that's why them. That's... bees only sting. Yeah, they only sting royalty. They never sting peasants, hmm. according to Jupiter sending.
0: So I actually stepped on a bee as a kid once and got stung. So does that mean that I am...
2: Yeah, you're now king of France. Awesome. With Arnold Schwarzenegger. You have to co-king it. You uh-huh. Co-monarchs. You're conarchs. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenarch. <laughs> All right. Listen, I don't... I, this was a troublesome topic for me, because I don't Why?
1: really understand... Well, because he said – because I don't how, know the difference How hard is this to understand? He made it absolutely clear.
0: Do you not see yeah, a lot absolutely. of movies about kings or stuff? Because there were some – we'll get into this. There were some things I wanted to pick but decided not to because they were plays.
1: Well, I, I picked something that was that even because I kind of made – I kind of made – not made clear but made you sort of not eliminate that from the contention.
0: All right, well, we'll – so like, Marie
1: Antoinette comes from something beforehand too. It comes from a novel. Uh, or not a novel. It comes, it, well, it, it comes from something called Marie Antoinette, The Journey by Antonio Frazier. I mean all these right. things come from previous stuff and well, plays are previous stuff.
0: Especially if they're actual kings, right? But, but, but aren't plays – actually, while well, I haven't seen them. I'll be curious which of the two that I'm thinking of you picked, is. So actually give me your number two. Is it based on a play?
1: No, it is not based on a play. So your number
0: one pick is based on a play.
1: <clears throat> yes, it is, but it's it's sort of a, uh, anyway. I'll I'll get to that anyway. Okay.
0: I right want to guess it before you say it.
1: All right, you're welcome All to. I, so think it'll be it'll be, be, I think it'll be pretty easy for you to. do. Uh, no, my number two is uh, King Leonidas from the movie 300.
0: <laughs> oh, that is dead Uh
1: And this is of course based on a uh, graphic novel, um, and I don't really care for a 300. Not as much as I cared for the second movie. I can't remember what it's called. Tom, do you remember that the Rise of Empire?
0: Right. Kelly, what is your name, Tom? <laughs> Wait, hang on. I'm checking. Get your driver's license out. You can tell by that, usually.
2: It's uh, Wesley. Kelly Wesley.
0: That is my middle name.
2: Yeah. That's the uh, worst middle name. Anyway, it it's not.
0: Why do you say that? You know what? It's an awesome middle name after Princess Bride. So there.
1: It is. As you wish. It should As be. As you wish, Tom. Thank Tom you. Tom Wesley Chick is an awesome name. Shush.
0: Yeah. It's actually, technically, it is Thomas Wesley Chick Jr. There's, there's a lot more to my name than you guys are giving me credit for.
2: I liked this, the W, more. I hate my middle name, too. Actually.
0: What's your middle name?
2: Uh, Christian.
0: Is it uh, really? Uh, it is. Kelly Christian Wand?
2: Uh, yeah, and I'm an atheist. It's really irritating. Do you know
0: what, you know what Dingus' middle name is? Christian. Kelly? No, his middle name is Wait. Christian. His first name is Patrick. His name's
2: Christian Patrick Christian Murawski?
0: Yep. We That's get mail a... here all the time for some guy named Patrick, and it turns out it's Dingus's mail.
2: What's the worst part of that, Patrick Christian Murawski?
1: The worst part of it is that my mom spelled it with an E. It's Christian with an E at the end. Wait,
2: we have the same middle name. Is you yours with an E or with an A? I think it's with an A you and think? a silent H.
1: You are pure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, so Dingus, why would you pick oh. uh, uh, why would you pick Gerard Butler's portrayal of a Greek king?
1: Uh, I I. I freaking love the way he portrays this this character, and you know, I'm a I'm kind of a sucker for Gerard Butler, even though he's done a lot of things that are super crappy. In 300, I think he's great. I, I love the way I love all that he's doing. I love the physicality of his role. I love his freaking beard. Um,
0: he, he's really like in tune with what Zack Snyder is trying to achieve. It feels like. Yeah. like he really clicks with that whole. Whether it works for you or not, the whole vibe of where that movie's going doesn't he?
1: He absolutely commits to it. He commits to it one hundred percent. That moment where he says, "We are Sparta," and he kicks that that the herald or the messenger or whatever uh, off of into the well, he is just so in tune with. I mean, you you kind of just put it perfectly, Tom. I just love how he commits to the role yeah. and how his men follow him without question. And the casting is so perfect. And part of what I was going for a little bit here, because you know kings and queens are often historical figures, um, is is how well the casting works for this particular role. And I really love Gerard Butler in this role. And 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 to be honest, King Leonidas was not a not a figure I knew particularly much about. I didn't understand the Spartans. I didn't understand this whole conflict until I went to see this movie, which, again, I didn't particularly like at the time, even though I went to see it with a whole bunch of friends who were going to see it for a friend's birthday party. So I was kind of primed to want to like it since everybody was rah-rah about it. But I'm not a graphic novel guy. I don't get Zack Snyder overly much. Um, But I love the way Gerard Butler – he's – he really carries this movie forward in such a bold and exciting way. So King Leonidas was my number two.
0: All right. Good. Kelly Wand, what is your second favorite king or queen in a movie?
1: My number two is um,
2: Kong, because if I was a king, that'd be the system of government I'd want to set up.
0: (sighs) All right. My number two favorite king in a movie – this is the one that uh, actually made me think of this topic. I've had it in my little notes for a while because I've specifically wanted to bring this movie up. Um, as we all know, in the movie Minotaur, Tom Hardy fights a minotaur. Uh, the guy whose idea it was to make a movie in which Tom Hardy fights a minotaur, his name is, uh, is Jonathan English, um, and after he made a movie in which Tom Hardy fights a minotaur, uh, he decided to make a historical drama about, and when I describe this, it's going to sound incredibly boring, but stick around because I'm then going to explain to you why it's not boring. He decided, Jonathan English, to make a movie about King John, who you normally know from Robin Hood movies, where King John is the evil, like, king, and the sheriff of Nottingham is his like, toady, and, and Robin Hood fights them, um... And King John was a historical character. I think he's widely regarded by historians as as being corrupt and inefficient. Uh, And he's mainly notable because he's the guy who spurred the Magna Carta into being. Uh, His abuses were such that uh, a bunch of his barons sort of rose up against him, and there were civil wars, and eventually out of this conflict came the Magna Carta. Which is a famous document for curbing the right of kings, for basically taking some of the king's power and forcing him to share it with the people. Even though in the Magna Carta it's just the barons, um, and what you what you learn in history, the conventional wisdom is the Magna Carta laid the foundation for ultimately the the Constitution of the United States. You know, this idea that there's a document that ensures the rights of the people, that you can't just have some arbitrary ruler deciding to do eh, whatever the hell he wants because, hey, he's in charge. So, this period of time where King John was such a terrible king that the Magna Carta came about, Jonathan English decides he's going to make a movie about that. But what he does is he makes it about after the Magna Carta was signed, and these people all agreed, yeah, this is how we're going to do it, King John decided, you know what? Fuck that. These little uppity barons... I don't like this I'm gonna take my country back so he basically hired a bunch of mercenaries and conquered his own country Um, and in in making this movie Jonathan English mainly makes it as a cool siege drama like Assault on Precinct 13 for instance because he makes it where King John and his hired mercenaries have to take this one important castle at Rochester and the people holding out at Rochester um, our main character is uh, a crusader played by James Purefoy, who's come back by, from the Crusades. Uh, he's taken a vow of silence um, and chastity and I think he's, he's going to be a monk the rest of his life but terrible things happen and he's forced to lead up to lead the defense of this, this castle. Uh, you have Brian Cox who plays one of the, the barons who had signed the Magna Carta and is trying to hold the king to it. Um, you have Derek Jacobi as the the steward in charge of the castle um, so so, uh, Jonathan English got these really great uh, English actors to play characters here uh, Charles Dance is in it you know he plays the Archbishop who is the, the liaison to the Pope in all of this conflict uh, so who are we gonna get in this movie to play the villain King John who is a bad guy who is is whiny and doesn't want these barons. He doesn't want to share power with them, and he wants his castle back. You know, he's going back on his word, having signed the Magna Carta. Who are we going to pick to play King John? The choice is Paul Giamatti.
2: Oh, I was hoping you'd say that.
0: What? And it makes... Paul Giamatti is terrible in this movie. He is at his absolute worst. Now, I know a lot of people liked Paul Giamatti um, in that John Adams uh, series. I thought we I mean, agreed yeah, that he
1: shouldn't be doing any more, uh, period.
0: but no, here's he's the good. Thing. I think he's terrible in this role, but it makes perfect sense for this kind of king, this guy who oh. does not deserve this position, who does not deserve this power, who is not worthy of it. Um, and surrounded by all these other better actors playing supposedly lesser figures um, – It's hilarious how much he stands out. And it's such an effective casting decision. I mean, I think he makes an incredibly effective villain by being not as good an actor at what he's trying to do, um, by being shrill and throwing tantrums. Um, There's an amazing scene where Brian Cox, uh, he's captured Brian Cox, and he, he basically screams at Brian Cox all of the reasons that he should be king. And he's screaming at him just that the the philosophical underpinning behind monarchies is that I am God's appointed. You know, I have the divine right to rule. Uh, And it's ridiculous. As he's screaming this at Brian Cox, he is chopping off Brian Cox's hands and feet. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. Is Uh, he doing
1: this in an English accent?
0: Nope, he does no accent. He cannot be arsed to do an accent, even. It's amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. By the way, I don't think I've I've mentioned the name of the movie. Uh, The movie is called Ironclad.
2: Uh, Oh, okay. Oh, I wanted to see that.
0: And I hardly recommend it. It's so R-rated. I love that about it, too. It's super R-rated, like bloody sword fighting action and torture and stuff like that. Uh, And a great cast. And and I I think... uh, Paul Giamatti just does an amazing job of showing what's wrong with the concept of monarchies.
2: Uh, I'm a torture enthusiast.
0: Uh, well, there's some of that in, in this movie. Yeah.
2: You didn't think he was good in 12 Years a Slave? I was like that one little cameo.
0: Um, yeah, right. that was fine. Because yeah. I mean, he has that weird kind of... But did you see? Um, I think it was called *The Illusionist*. That thing where he is the detective that. chasing down. Yeah, because that's another thing where I thought he. I'm an didn't illusionist
2: really... apologist.
0: I mean, I could see liking the movie, but did you, didn't you feel that he kind of stood out? Like he—he's a very modern actor. Um,
2: I mean, Jessica Biel and Ed Norton are both. I, don't, I know what you're saying, though. There are some like Michael Douglas to me. I think would. Be...
1: How about George Clooney? Imagine him being in *Braveheart*, for instance. <laughs> oh, <Jesus.
0: laughs> It'd be weird. Wow. I agree with you. Well, it's weird but, enough, even seeing George Clooney trying to be historical to back in what would be 1944 in uh, a Thin Thin Red Line,
1: you know, oh, playing yeah.
0: a, a World War II commander, like a colonel, right, I right. think. Um,
1: but trying to try to imagine George Clooney, and, and I like George Clooney in a lot of stuff. I think he's got a he's got a range, but imagine him trying to do a Scottish accent and doing right, great right. parts. I mean, honestly, right
0: there yeah. are There are though in ironclad there 's this one, and I'd totally forgotten this moment because it 's absolutely beautiful uh, when they're doing the siege um, and this is one of the cool things about ironclad is they really play with this idea of like how badass siege engines would be uh, so the uh the, the the English with their Danish mercenaries, are laying siege to Rochester Castle and they build a really cool siege tower. Um, but while they're doing that, inside the castle, James Purefoy and his buddies are building a catapult that they use to then take out the siege tower. Uh, and during the battle scene, uh, constantly King John has with him some dude who carries around a huge tome. And he's got it open, and he's writing things down in it. Uh, and the idea is he's the king's historian. So when the siege tower gets like blown up and knocked over... Paul Giamatti storms over to that guy, grabs his book, tears the page out, and screams at him, "Don't record that bit!" Yeah, he's like, "Do not record that bit," and that's not like that. That's such a modern way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I, I love that, it. and it's just Paul Giamatti just throwing a tantrum and being childish, which is kind of adorable. Auto
1: correct like, that out,
0: right? And he's so much shorter than everyone in the movie too, which is also, and he just looks so ridiculous with his wig sticking out under his crown. Um,
2: That's how it was.
0: I, you know, what? yeah, that that as a king, you're you're sort of how do you look? How do you make a crown not mess up your hair?
2: I think we're gonna got the, or or the wig thing. Like, oh, we're gonna all wear we're all gonna wear fake white hair with powder in it.
1: What well, you to... what you've painted in my head is that picture that that caricature of that the little monarch throwing a tantrum.
0: Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's clearly on on an, a historical scale as far as going back on the Magna Carta uh, and the moment to moment bit. That's clearly what the what what Ironclad is doing with its treatment of King John. Yeah.
2: Wow. I thought Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland discovered the Magna Carta.
0: No, you're you're confusing the Magna Carta in China.
2: Oh, Kelly right. Went, yeah. Sorry.
0: Uh, They're both Latin. By the way, yeah. you know who else is awesome in Ironclad, who I didn't uh, appreciate at the time? Uh, do you guys <clears throat> know Mackenzie Crook by name? Yeah. So he's also in Ironclad, is this cool, like, character. Yeah, Gareth from The Office, and he plays a, uh, they call him Wargs, I but I think of Wargs as something else. He's a warg in Game of Thrones, yeah. which is a guy who can commune with animals.
2: I think he's dead now. In that show. Uh,
0: spoiler. Game of Thrones spoiler.
2: From season two or something. Yeah, I know, right? Oh. Mm. Touche. Uh
0: all right, so there is my uh number two. Oh, and by the way, Kelly Wine, if you're a, you're a, a Kate Mara fan, uh she's the little hottie who uh, tempts our uh our our hero out of his vow of celibacy in Ironclad, just so you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. I talk myself out of celibacy.
0: Uh, I didn't know you'd taken a vow.
2: Well, it's more of a guideline.
0: Kelly, or no, Dingus? What is your favorite <laughs> king or queen in a movie? So I'm gonna guess it is because I don't have any frame of reference.
2: Colin Firth. For,
0: for which of these two is uh is which? Like, because I've never seen either of them. Uh, I'm gonna guess.
2: Seaman Beaumont.
0: Man for all seasons. What?
1: <laughs> No, that's a
2: terrible guess.
1: Kelly, did you actually try to scoop Tom by choosing, choosing the king's speech?
0: Because we know that's Kelly Wan's number one movie from that year, so I'm guessing that's his choice for favorite king. Uh,
1: and he tried to scoop you for my pick by choosing that?
0: His own number one, yeah. I think so.
1: And you chose a... Uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, uh,
0: Lion in Winter. That's the one I'm thinking of. Is that your uh, favorite?
1: No, obviously not. Oh, why do you well, say obviously not?
0: Well, should be in not? the old Why do you say obviously not? <laughs>
1: Because I've talked about this movie many times in the podcast, and I'm crazy about it. A play I, based on a
0: kid with a kid. Wait, what? Do you know what he's talking about, Kelly?
1: My daughters can't get along. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I'm sad that I didn't pick the one I wanted to pick instead of Marine Twin. That now, it was, it was very obvious. But anyway, so for my number one, it's Henry V, obviously.
0: Oh, that play. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, well, that's a whole other. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, he said he picked
0: it from a play,
1: so that was the
0: tip. Well, I I was, I discovered that uh Lion and Winter is a, was a play. Yeah. Which I didn't know.
1: Yeah. What? Well, the reason I felt comfortable picking Henry V is because of the way that uh that the adaptation pulls together a bunch of different versions of the of uh, or a bunch of different versions of the king and and sort of molds the uh or Kenneth Branagh molds the character that he plays that Prince Prince Hal, who becomes Henry V, or Henry V, the way he molds that into one character. And he chooses things from Henry IV Part One and Two, and makes this into, I mean, he chooses things so that you see that whole thing where Christian Bale, very early on, is in the scenes with Falstaff, and you, you basically get to see, in, in the course of one movie, I think what Shakespeare did over three, maybe four plays. Yeah, because of, he's
0: part of uh, Richard II as well. Like yeah character yeah where or he's no, molding father right
1: where he's molding this 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 prince this prince who's just all over the place into this king and he molds mm-hmm. him and Kenneth Brown does that basically in one movie uh, and it it is a truncated version of that and it, it's more um, gratifying to read the whole account of how that happens. But I think that that this particular portrayal in this particular movie from 1989, which is one of my favorite movies, or one of my favorite years of movies, uh, how he molds that into this particular character. And, and to be honest, uh, I... I kind of w- was going toward this when I was looking at the scenes in the same way that Tom was looking at Marie Antoinette. Um, when, when Tom was talking about um, – honey, cut it out. Uh, when girl. Tom was talking about Rip Torn as being this uh, this weird kind of choice or this, this other character you wouldn't think of picking. I almost picked uh, Paul Schofield's version of that French king. For this particular movie, because he's such this sad character at the end, this sad uh, resigned character, and I love that scene at the end, and then the French a French English lesson at the end. Uh, But right before that, where Paul Schofield is doing the terms for the agreement after the battle of Agincourt, I love the way Paul Schofield plays that character, the way he plays that French King. I almost chose the French King for this, but in watching these scenes, I was just, I'm just so taken with the way Kenneth Branagh plays Henry. And, and I, you know, it's obvious to watch um the Saint Crispin's Day speech, but my favorite part of that speech turns out to be he, he does the speech and then he takes a little bit of a break. It's like he takes a breather, he gets off the wagon, he's like I'm gonna I'm gonna take a like like give me a water bottle and then Mount the 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 herald comes riding up and asks if he's going to be um, ransomed again, and he just all of a sudden gets his ire back again and says, "No, I'm not going to be ransomed again. I pray the bid my former answer to them, uh, bid them achieve me, and then they can sell my bones." And he gets all his ire back up again and gets back on the wagon and starts talking again. Um, And I, I just love that little moment. There's so many little moments that Kenneth Branagh gets right in this when he's talking to his cousin when he's talking to the guys that he's sentencing um, i, I oh man Henry five so yeah that's my number one Kelly
0: okay, one what do you have that, that tops that my kingdom for a horse that's Richard the third wrong king it's not I like there.
2: <clears throat> okay you're gonna make fun of me but you gotta hear my case I picked Arthur from the Holy Grail just because he never gives up it's like he was holding his own against the Monty Python universe and then till he gets arrested for a murder he didn't commit.
0: Could you maybe do a few choice lines? Because I always love it when people How quote you me. It's like, oh, hilarious. You're what? killing me because I stop. Oh you slay me. Night you say me Oh
2: Isn't that a line? It's
0: hilarious.
2: It's, it's awesome. silence, I mean, have a plan. What? The duck and the witch, <clears throat> sorry, I have a sore throat that 's kind of affecting it right yeah I could
0: tell <clears throat> uh, so press? my favorite uh king or queen in a movie um, uh, in in the fountain um, Rachel Weiss plays uh, Queen oh. Isabel of Spain, and there's really nothing that special about it i mean she she plays multiple uh, she plays two characters in the movie um. But in thinking about her role in *The Fountain* as the Queen of Spain, uh, and the way it fits in the overall movie, um, *The Fountain* is a little complicated to explain if you haven't seen it. Um, but it's a kind of a a, a really beautiful mindfuck in a way that that uh, Darren Aronofsky plays with these three different storylines. Um, and what's really rewarding about *The Fountain* over multiple viewings. Uh, are ways that the storylines uh, diverge or connect or intersect each other. Uh, and I love in the Conquistador storyline of The Fountain, in which Rachel Weiss plays Queen Isabella of Spain, and Hugh Jackman plays uh, a Conquistador named Tomas. Uh, so the parallels are, in the modern day, his wife, also played by Rachel Weisz, uh, is dying of cancer. And he is a scientist who is racing to research that particular cancer, um, ideally hoping to be able to save his wife. Um, And in the parallel story of the Conquistador, this Conquistador is trying to conquer new lands for the monarchy, is going to the New World, uh, and the Queen sends him there because her country is basically dying of a cancer of corruption under the Catholic Church and the Inquisition and this cruel inquisitor. Uh, so there's this kind of parallel of a woman dying of cancer and a doctor trying to save her and a conquistador who's in love with the queen trying to save his own country. Um, so I love that that little uh, narrative overlay that Darren Aronofsky has uh, as far as a story about a man who loves his wife and a conquistador who loves his country, uh, and how the country is personified in this mysterious, beautiful uh, monarch with whom he's in love.
1: Um, yeah, that's a great one. That is a great choice. Yeah. Holy Jesus cats.
0: Christ!
1: I didn't even think of the fountain. That's awesome. That's a great choice. And it's
0: such a brief scene, too. There's the one scene where he meets her, And she gives him the ring, which later parallels the wedding ring and the tattoo he makes on his finger in the the future scenario. Um, But, yeah, where she's actually the queen is just that one scene. But
1: Uh, is she not there in that execution moment?
0: When he – No,
1: isn't there this weird sort of visual – maybe it's a hallucination of this weird execution that's going on. Is she not there for that? I don't know. Maybe I'm having a fever dream. Anyway, this is a great choice. Yeah. So,
0: all right. So yeah. So that that is my number one pick. Um. Oh, you know what? Oops, I didn't really. Let's go. Let's go to see what the readers have for us. Yeah.
1: I can't believe that you, uh, man, Tom. That's a really, really great choice. The found. I,
0: God damn it. Well, it's, over here, it's no man for all seasons.
1: That's certainly not. Or a lion in winter.
0: Or a lion in winter. All which I, I couldn't tell you what one is compared to the other. I've never seen either one.
1: Uh, well, I've seen both, but I'm still trying to figure out what Khan means.
0: What what means? Lawrence of Arabia was a
2: monarch, too. Kind of. In his own mind. Who he,
0: what was he the king of, Kelly Long-tool? The
1: Arabia. other one I, I kind of wanted to choose was uh, I wanted to choose something from the movie The Eagle um, because of the seal people. Oh, I thought right, that right. there would be a but uh, but the but the guy we really like, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he's the prince of seals, and you don't really see the king. And I thought he was the king for some reason.
0: All right, was well, the
2: old man in quest for fire the king? We kept extinguishing the fire, the fire by accident. I by falling think they had kings fire.
0: back then. So uh, Patrick writes, um, says this is a first-time uh, writer um, who. Uh All right, so, so film monarchs very often have symbolic significance. An avatar of the people, symbol of class oppression, etc. My favorite is... Oh, God. We might just skip Patrick's email. No, Patrick writes, My favorite is Padme Amidala, Queen of Holy Naboo, shit. the elected term-limited monarch in Star Wars Phantom Menace. The befuddlement of basic terminology is, for me, a synecdoche of the incoherent and ill-considered choices that went into this film. The fact that said monarch is the elected head of state of a technologically advanced society who, by tradition or law, must be a child to his naive in statecraft is a relatively minor transgression of logic and phantom menace. Hmm. What do you think You're a funny boy. Yeah. Uh, his sure. runner-up, uh, Patrick's runner-up, is Jareth, the Goblin King in Labyrinth. Uh, I guess uh, one could say that he represents the allure of the freedom of childhood coupled with the wilderness of budding sexual awareness, which is ultimately a fantasy rendered immaterial by adult responsibility. But, really, I just nominated him because I love the movie and David Bowie's part in it. His rule does raise the question of whether a monarchy can be hereditary if the king is immortal. That is a good question, Isn't, Patrick.
2: Doesn't Legend have a goblin king, too? And the Hobbit?
0: Legend. It has a unicorn, I think. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They borrowed it from Blade Runner.
0: Uh, Paul Weimer picks Timothy Dalton as the young King Philip II of France in Lion and Winter. He looks like he is badly outmatched by his English counterparts, whom he is meeting for Christmas in France, but he quickly gets respected for being much better at negotiating. Catherine Hepburn as Queen Eleanor in Lion and Winter. Captive, crafty, and cunning. What other queen would give her sons weapons for a Christmas present so they can try to overthrow their father? And his number one pick? Peter O'Toole as Henry II in Lion in Winter. Stronger and so much more dangerous than his sons, his wife, or King Philip II, even when they're running schemes against him. The best monarch of all, t- movie monarch of all time. That kind of makes me want to see that. Um... But it's based uh-huh. on a play, so yeah.
2: It's them talking for a lot.
0: Oh, I like this one. Sing. Uh TJ Keller. Already TJ, you're getting on my good side with this one. Uh Nightmare Before Christmas Monarch. Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King. I actually I'm not sure I like this. I like I like that movie. I don't know what I
2: didn't he... know he was king.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure I realized that. Uh, Well, okay, well, here we go. It seems like TJ has anticipated that we might balk. Uh, He explains that Jack is called the king of the pumpkin patch and the king of Halloween by the denizens. He talks about his crown and his inability to give it up, and the mayor alludes to the fact that Jack is not elected to his position.
2: (laughs) uh, That's all conveyed in song, too, isn't it? goth songs.
0: Now, is that, is that an example of telling, not showing, when you just explain stuff in a song?
2: Well, if you sing it, you're showing them. Fair enough. That's a display, because you're, you're capering around at the same time. Yeah.
0: Well, TJ says he that's picked the, him for both his passionate leadership, his understanding of his people, and his actual skill. Alright. Uh, so when
2: he dies, does he have flesh on his skeleton? Like, that's what decomposition is. is. It,
0: isn't he immortal, just like David Bowie's Goblin King?
2: That's not a monarchy, then, is it?
0: makes you wonder, what are you going to do with the hereditary aspects of it there? Yeah. I mean, could you imagine being the prince to an immortal king? That would suck. You're never going to inherit the the crown. That's how Damon Lindelof probably feels. TJ's number two pick, I'm glad someone mentioned this one here, uh, Lion King, the monarch (laughs) being Scar, which we all know is just Hamlet, but with lions.
1: Miss Claudius.
0: so T.J. writes, Scar's ambition leads him to uh, a very chilling moment as he whispers, Long live the king, both before throwing Mufasa down into a ravine. Scar is one of those classic evil kings that rules with, that, with manipulation and fear. However, it is Scar's charm and sense of humor that sets him apart. Isn't there a... Uh, two, the what, humor? What was the Jeremy Irons movie where he played the guy who murdered his wife, the rich guy? Dead Ringers? Oh, oh,
2: oh uh, Reversal of Fortune. Yeah, Reversal of yeah, Fortune. The Klaus von Bula character. Klaus right? von yeah.
0: yeah. Isn't there a Reversal of Fortune nod in Lion King when Scar says something about, you have no idea?
1: Yeah. He says, Uncle Scar, you're so weird. You Give me my, my
0: insula. Oh, and it's, it's really that much of a nod? Like he's being accused of, he's called weird and he says in response to being called weird, you have no idea? Yeah,
1: it's the same line. Because
0: yeah. kids love Reversal of
1: Fortune. Uncle Scar, you're so weird, you have no idea. And it is very much the, it's the Bombula thing.
0: All right. Thank you, Disney. Uh, and then uh, TJ's number one pick is the movie Brave. The monarch is Eleanor. Uh, Emma Thompson lends incredible weight to Eleanor as both queen and mother. She begins the movie as everything a proper queen could aspire to be and ends the movie as the mother of her family. This is the mother, her family, her na- and her nation need her to be. I love this character.
1: Oh, I actually I, oh I really like that I really really like that pick.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm such a retard. I was I'm such an idiot. I was thinking of Braveheart.
1: Yeah, I yeah, didn't no. even think of Brave. And that's great.
0: That is a great pick. Yeah. Uh and then honorable I like that Braveheart guy. And then honorable mention to Snow White's uh, Wicked Queen. Oh, the original. Yeah. Uh Fredbo, Oh, I'm glad
1: um, can I just say that you you just brought up Snow White. Um the uh, Raf—I can't remember her name—all of a sudden off the top of my head—but the girl who played Athena, um, Raffi Cassidy was her name. She was also the young Snow White in Snow White and the Huntsman.
0: Right, exactly. Yep,
1: yep. Anyway, this go
0: ahead. It, who grows up to be Charlize? Uh, oh no, no. Who grows up to be Kristen Stewart? Yep. Who's not mm-hmm. in, by the way, the sequel? What? There's a sequel? Yeah, it's just called The Huntsman, and it's pretty much everyone from the first movie except for Kristen Stewart.
2: Well, her name's not in the title.
0: Just kind of the way to go, yeah.
2: Wait, is it um, the same director who got fired? It is
0: not. It is not the guy who was sleeping with Kristen Stewart. Uh, I forget who it is. Yeah.
2: You can do better.
0: Uh, Fred Bo chooses. <laughs> Number three, King Ralph because John Goodman. Number two, he just <laughs> writes the it. word longshanks. I don't know what that means. Oh, oh no, is that Alan that's brave. Or No, No, it's that's brave Braveheart. Braveheart, okay. The Prisoner. Uh, And then number one, he doesn't even name a king or the actor who played him. It's just the signature line from Mel Brooks' History of the World, part one. Fred Fredbo writes, it's good to be the king. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jonathan J. Lando de Pratna writes, uh, my third favorite monarch is the first one I thought of as well, King Ralph. (laughs) <laughs> Probably not very memorable to most, but for me it was, because it was the first film I ever snuck into a theater to see. Also, the cold really? opening where every royal in line to rule is murdered by a cameraman is pretty funny. Okay? Uh, I actually don't know what King Ralph is. So John Goodman is it actually a, a king in King Ralph?
2: Yeah, he gets some strippers. remember that. What's he the king of? England. Because oh, right. everyone else dies. The royal family dies in a ph- photography accident, murder, apparently. And then John Goodman assumes the mantle and then goes war with the Falklands.
0: Seems like a movie you would really like, Kelly Wand.
2: Uh, I didn't. I love that he snuck into it or ditched school to see it. Which did he say? Like for King Ralph. I did that. I, sn- I ditched school to see
0: Bachelor Party
2: and DC Cab. What do you think of that, Tom?
0: That's quite the double feature for Ditching School, yeah. It's
1: a crazy day. It's a crazy yeah. day.
0: Because uh, you, you,
1: you were in school for Porky's, right? Yeah.
0: I just watched it through the wall, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Jonathan J. lander did not say anything about Ditching School. He just said he sneaked into King Ralph. Yeah.
2: On a weekend. Not the movie, though. The way the real king would have.
0: So his second favorite pick, his second favorite is... Mendez the 26th from <laughs> Beneath the Planet of the Apes. What? A series that are one of my favorites. In this film, he causes the end of the Earth and everything on it with a doomsday device. That guy's like Monarch the Mutant? I don't know. I've never seen it. Mendez the 26th. Am I looking at that I right? Just... Yeah. Someone in Beneath the Planet of the Apes.
2: Did you, you didn't see that one?
0: I don't remember them very well. I remember as a kid having the, the action figures... They were actually dolls, yeah. and they were doll-sized, uh, of some of the apes, and I think I had a treehouse playset kind of thing. Oh, I love that thing. But what I, the funny thing is, I don't remember ever actually being into those movies as a kid.
2: No, they're awesome, because they're all bummers, and it was kind of, you kind of felt like you were seeing an adult.
0: Hmm. And you, so Kelly Wan, you don't even know who Mendez is, and what this stuff is about him ending the Earth?
2: I remember them blowing up the Earth after a machine gun fight, um with Charlton Heston and James Franciscus, but um, I don't remember him announcing his name was Mendez the 26th. Huh,
0: okay. Well, Jonathan J. Landard de Pratton's favorite monarch is James Earl Jones. Uh, he writes, He was so funny in Coming to America, and so understatedly powerful and sweet in Disney's The Lion King. In both instances, he makes a great king. His rich and booming base is hopefully strong enough to keep the 3 by 3 cops at bay.
2: <laughs> Plus Vader, he's the king, right? No, he Vader is not a
0: monarch. Portland? Please, Kelly Wand.
2: But isn't he the king of Naboo, because he had sex with Foreman?
0: Mm, that's not how, that's Nab- not how mo- monarchies work. Arthur Giovanginelli, his number three pick is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, giving oh. Kelly Wand's great holy hand grenade pick from last week, and my name, I had to pick Grant Chapman's portrayal of King Arthur, the ones in Future King. His number two pick, 300. Even though the movie was outdone by its sequel, I still enjoy Gerard Butler's performance as Leonidas. He looks great physically, and everything he does fits the tone of the movie. And Arthur's number one pick, Lord of the Rings. Aragorn, son of (laughs) Thorne, descendant of Isildur and King of Gondor, Viggo Mortensen adds inspiration and depth to Tolkien's famous monarch, creating a character that feels both fresh and familiar. A great example of how to translate an iconic literary character to film... And a great king as well he's not that good a king i mean what does he even do to lead i mean he just goes and gets a bunch of ghosts to fight a battle right
2: he's not even king when he does that so we don't we just assume he was a good king but i noticed the second he becomes king everybody leaves like all right we're going to the great havens good
0: luck uh, yeah d- does he i mean it, what what does he have much by way of governance skills
2: he marries liv tyler that's civic is that in the book no Dripping on the beds not in the book either.
0: Eric Germani writes, uh, "Tony Jaws is one of the most a- most athletic performers I've ever seen, but it's not. Wait, what? I don't know what this is, but it's not for the three by three.
2: Wait, keep going. I'm it's three by
0: three for random moments of athleticism.
2: <laughs> Have we ever done that? Uh,
0: I think you're the you're you're our best three x three. You're the archivist. Athlete. Do you remember?" A 3x3 three three of random moments of athleticism?
1: No, uh, off the top of my head, I don't. Wait,
0: well, if, if we yes. ever do that 3x3, three three, we do have oh, his reader submission right. for it, just so you know.
1: Alright, I thought we did something involving sports, but I'm not quite sure.
0: Maybe just to know what monarchy meant. Maybe you thought that was, like, Could heart rate. Be. Fraser Wilson writes something in German that I don't understand. And then he all writes right. his number three pick, Kate Blanchett and Elizabeth. Uh. Although Christopher Eccleston... I I like it he spells here. I normally wouldn't pick on someone's spelling, but he he writes it here, Christopher Eccleston. Uh, uh, He says, although Christopher Eccleston was probably more more memorable, he looked so annoyed when they were chopping his head off. Um, (laughs) His number two pick, Fraser Wilson chooses (laughs) Mel Brooks in History of the World Part 1. Jesus. The way he addressed it's good to be the king to the camera really became quite menacing. No. <laughs> no, Fraser. No, I don't think what? Fraser knows what the word "menacing" means. That
2: is saying. Yeah. Willie Peed was pretty menacing too on Harvey Corman's leg. That kind of that gave me nightmares. Uh,
0: and then Fraser's number one pick. Oh, this is interesting. Is Quentin Crisp in Orlando, a famous queen playing a famous queen? Also notable because Elizabeth was so old. Logically, this is what must have happened to her, but she's rarely portrayed this way. And of course, this is great. I mean, I'm sure we all would have brought this up. But uh, Helen Mirren in the Queen yeah. gets points because it's Helen Mirren. Unfortunately, loses several million points because it's hard to give a shit about her problems. Writes Fraser Wilson. Fraser, you missed the point of the movie, which is yeah, which totally is humanizing missed... this larger than life character. Uh, let's see. Oh, it looks like Fraser's got some sort of an issue here. So Fraser writes. Michael Sheen did a great impression of Tony Blair, but lacked an exploration of what a big dickhead Tony is. Mm. Fraser doesn't seem very happy Hello. with the the rulers <clears throat> of England. Yeah. Uh, however, Fraser concedes James Cromwell's Prince Philip was spot on. All right, Fraser. All right. Uh, and then finally, we have Josh, who writes. His number three pick is... Uh, he says these are all bad kings and queens. His number three pick is the queen from Return to Oz.
2: Ah, oh, yeah. There's also the Gnome King, too. He's in that.
0: I have you know, that no type. idea what that is. What is Return to Oz?
2: It's one with a Balk as Dorothy. I kind of like it, although it's its cheaper oh. looking than it should be. But she gets shock treatments. really upset Roger Ebert.
0: Wow. All right. This does sound weird. So uh, Josh writes... The scene where Dorothy is finding all the Queen's spare heads in her castle is terrifying, especially when one of the heads wakes up. Man, that does sound terrifying.
2: Yeah, it's a Uh, post-apocalyptic Oz movie. It's creepy. It's good.
0: Well, uh, Josh says, I feel like this movie is underappreciated. It's super heavy with subtext, and the Queen's heads are a good example. As Kelly Wand might put it, it taps into our fear of women who had different heads, and all of them are mad at you. (laughs) <laughs> Josh. Josh's number two pick. Uh, we've heard this one previously, but he picks uh, David Bowie as the Goblin King in Labyrinth. Uh. He says this is another one responsible for traumatizing me as an '80s child. Bowie's Goblin King is half queen. Uh, I like his Tina Turner Thunderdome look, and the fact that there are whole scenes that feature any number of Jim Henson puppets conducting conversations. With just their heads and Bowie's riding-painted bulge in the frame. What?
1: Oh, my God. What, is, what does that mean? Bowie's Why do you have to take it there? Bowie's
0: riding-painted... Oh, riding-panted bulge in the frame.
1: That
2: makes more sense.
0: Oh, like wearing riding pants panted. and... yeah.
2: It's panted. Yeah, his bulge is panted
0: over. That's almost as disturbing as the thing about the heads. <laughs> uh, and Josh's number one pick... Richard Harris as Edward the Longshanks in Braveheart.
2: Yep. He says this is That's just... That's not a-
0: Richard Harris. Uh, who is it? I didn't That's think Pat- Richard it's Harris
2: McGuin. It's Patrick was- McGowan. It's Patrick McGowan.
0: The ah, guy. Josh. Looks like you've been schooled by Kelly Wand.
2: Embarrassing.
0: Well, Josh writes, and I'm going to read it like Josh wrote it, even though he got, might have gotten the name wrong. Uh, Josh writes, just a classic badass king. Richard Harris plays him like he straddles this imaginary point in history just before kings become fat guys born into it, when you still maybe had to be the biggest badass in the room. I like the part where he shoves his son's Donny Osmond-looking boyfriend out the window, and the one when he announces a plan, and one of his lackeys says, an excellent plan, sire, and Longshanks is all, is it? just to be a dick. Josh's runner's up, uh... David Thewlis as a Joffrey-style punk-ass king in *Dragonheart*. And oh, here's a good one: yeah. Alice Kriege as the Borg Queen in *Star oh, Trek: First Contact*.
1: I do kind of like <laughs> that one.
0: Yeah, and he describes thinking, her. Yeah. Yep, he describes her, and this is true: as ice cold yet so hot.
1: Yeah, that's good. Just like my yeah. Mister Freeze.
0: Uh, <sighs> all right, gentlemen, runners-up. What do you got? Anything?
1: Um, uh obviously uh king odin or i mean odin king sorry and thor
0: why you say obviously dingus please
1: well because it the name king is in his name ah right uh yeah and I, I had thought about the queen too i i i just love that movie so freaking much um but it just seemed too obvious so i didn't pick it
0: kelly want any
2: runners up for you uh zeus clash the titans and also not the king, king of Pop. A,
0: a god is not a king, Kelly Wong.
2: Yeah, he is. What are you talking about?
0: How is he gods a Gods are
2: always king. Uh, Xerxes is was a god king. He's the king of Olympus. He's king of the gods. He's like king of the monsters. That's but not true. God...
1: That's not no, true. none of that is true. Is if, you're king, gonna pick, if you're going to pick King Arthur for something, why aren't you picking Excalibur?
0: Right? I know, yeah.
2: Because I don't think that was really about Arthur as much as... It doesn't matter if it's
1: about him. I mean, King Arthur... Excalibur. you? No,
0: I thought the
2: Graham Chapman Arthur was kind of an interesting because in Life of Brian it's kind of more predictable because he's a buffoon, but in Holy Grail he's just like he kind of like is beating the dumbness for most of the movie.
1: Beating the dumbness. Tom, do you have any runners up?
0: Uh, I do the, not. Not that, that not that weren't already mentioned. Um,
1: all right. I had trouble with it. I'm
0: sorry. I failed. Yeah, any of you, I think once you picked King Kong, we knew that you weren't really playing anymore. So yeah,
1: that's my only good one.
0: Dingus, what is your choice for our three by three next week?
1: <laughs> that's my only good one. Professor X was <laughs> king of the X Men, right? No, by the way, before I launch into my choice for next week's topic, we do have a, we did have a. Uh, a three-by-three uh, a three topic called Best Sporting Event Competitions in Movie History, Including Duels, by Kelly for the 2010 Top Ten Movie. Uh, the, our 2010 Top Ten Movie uh, show Kelly chose Top three best sporting event competitions in movie history, including duels.
2: Yeah, well, what's
0: know, cut this was a fellow who titled it Three-by-Three three, Moments of Random Athleticism. And he was starting to write, the there was a paragraph in there about Tony Jaw, who I think is the guy from these kickboxer movies. Um, right. Wait, we just saw Tony Jaw in something recently, didn't we? Is he in, Fat- in Furious 7?
1: Tony Jaw? Yeah. yeah. Oh, is, is he, he the, the guard guy in...
0: who locks Paul Walker in the big old trailer truck yeah. and pushes it over a cliff?
1: That sounds right. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Who's too
0: slow, my man. Yeah, that's right. And that's his dialogue in that scene. Right, Kelly Wand. Yeah.
1: And I, and I forget what the Asian guy said.
0: <laughs> All right, so Dingus, what do you got for us next week?
1: All right, so this is inspired by Kelly making us doing tutorials. <laughs> and I really I don't think we've done this. So these are your three favorite scenes that are uh, school scenes. Ah. And these are not, <laughs> th- these have to be uh, these these are I'm not talking about colleges or universities. I'm talking about things before you get to college or university. This is basically school that is, you know, your your what you would what you would sort of bracket as your childhood school in in the states that would be uh, sort of preschool or kindergarten up to the time you graduate from high school. Um, you folks in in Europe, I don't know how you'll you'll do it, but it's basically before you go off to university. Well, now, so out of
0: curiosity, why are you doing a cutoff point there?
1: Because I think that college college scenes is it could be another topic for somebody else.
0: Twenty one Jump Street, twenty two no, Jump Street. do Kelly. You're just going to make Kelly do. Uh, freshman year of college. Your favorite scene is school your senior of year bus. of college. Your favorite community college <laughs> class scene. School bus. Yeah, don't encourage him, to The, Dingus, the no more case. I can
1: help, the more I can help Kelly come up with topics. The better it is. Oh, okay, fair enough. So, but uh, but this is also uh, this is also sort of you know my son is about to graduate from fifth grade. He's about to go into middle school. Oh, you
0: want it to be about kids.
1: I kind of do. I I kind of like that whole that whole idea of the way the high school classroom works, the way the middle school classroom works, the the way classrooms work, and college and university. Those aren't really classrooms; they're lecture halls. It's a different sort of scope. So I'm thinking more classrooms, but also the way halls work. I mean, colleges and universities have dorms. It's, it's more expanded, but, but high schools, elementary schools, middle schools, they're more contained. So I'm really looking for school scenes. There's scenes within schools and I, I, am looking for more of a topic that's a little more contained, but not so confining.
0: Dingus, are you doing this because I called you in to look at the scene where Cleo Duval calls Elijah Wood a dingus in the faculty?
1: Yes, you jerk, I am. Interesting.
2: (laughs) Do barbershops count as schools? What about barbecues?
1: No. No no culinary schools, no things that call themselves schools. No um, uh, schools of karate, no schools of Germany, people who go to learn how to, to write for game schools. I'm talking about schools where you go to school... As children from kindergarten to high school. But I don't want to limit it, since in Germany they go to gymnasium. So I want to make it clear that we're talking we about schools not college or university or culinary schools. Okay,
0: Kelly? And Kelly Wan, we're this the- is also not about kids schooling people the way that the young George Clooney does to Hugh Laurie with his repaired jetpack in Tomorrowland.
1: Or not how knowing we name we watch schools King Kong on how to dance
0: exactly Kelly Wand. What about cruise ships? <sighs> All right, schools next week. Kelly Wand, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're seeing? Because I want to hear it from. Wait, you, you got to tell people to email. Oh yeah, Dingus. How can listeners participate?
1: All right, you guys should send in your submissions to our address at three by three at quarter three dot com. That's three. The number three x3 at quarter to three dot com all spelled out just send in your submissions for next week we will read them on this podcast and we will be so happy to see them
0: yeah and we love it when the listeners school us with better picks than we come up with mm, well done Tom. Athleticism, all of it is random all right carry what do we see next week next and week and who's, who's in it? it
2: uh harrison ford is going to be playing <laughs> a 3d hero as always, because he can land a plane, unlike some actors. Criterion Collection. And uh, we're seeing uh, San Andreas based on the video game.
0: Awesome. Cannot wait. Um, so see San Andreas. Join us for the podcast next week. Join us for our 3x3 three three of schools. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Malosky.
1: Uh My um, name's Christian Morosky.
0: That's exactly what I just said. I don't know why you're correcting me. And Kelly Wand. I see myself
2: as more of an oligarch. La 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 la
1: la
2: la la the movie,
1: huh? Kelly, do you know why I could never make you laugh? (laughs) I'm not allowed to get ideas.
0: That's when my audience was so asleep in Tomorrowland, but for whatever reason, that line woke a few of them up and it got a chuckle from the audience when she says, because you're not funny. I couldn't believe that.
1: (laughs) You know what was great about that when I went to see it? Uh, She says that line and then Alexander leans over to me because I'm not funny. (laughs) And then he goes... She goes, because you're not funny.
0: Yes. Oh, no. So basically, the <laughs> we same thing is Damon Lindelof is predictable. I, <laughs> Lindelof work
1: I, I think NASA. Alexander thought she was scooping him, and he totally did. And then at that point, she's like, oh, God, I got nothing to live for, <laughs> really. <laughs> she totally well, predicted that.